Crash Course Podcast. I'm Matt, a.k.a. Stormageddon. I'm John. I'm Steve. Um, before we jump into this week's album, which I picked, um, I want to take a moment to thank two burlesque producers who I was in two awesome shows this past weekend as we're recording, because, you know, the internet is timey-wimey. Um, is it? I thought that was time. No, the internet is The internet is finite. It's massive, but it's finite. Uh, it's still growing pretty But technically, but remember, to be now for by one minute. But just remember, now for us isn't the same as the now for the person listening. Now we had this conversation now. Plus, if we start coming up with new porn genres, we're actually giving birth to at least three websites at every moment. That's true. That's probably like three new buildings full of servers, right? Yeah, yeah. Dedicated to some weird stuff. Anyway, you were saying about burlesque. We never did burlesque. that math problem. Remember the 500,000 stories, which you said was all the way to the moon? Uh, anyway, back to the first <laughs> Yeah, way to change the subject. So, um, I did back-to-back shows this past weekend. The first one being D20 Burlesque Tribute to Podcasting, which was a blast. Um, produced by Anya Keister, former guest of this show, and Autographs, our first crossover guest. And it was really interesting, because when I approached her about my idea to make the, the Go-Go playlist and the pre- and post-show playlist a collection of more or less only upbeat songs, but mostly like high energy songs from all the stuff we've reviewed, the better stuff. Um, she was on board for it. And uh, not only was she super excited about it, and the playlist came out great, which is on Spotify. If you look up Matt Storm on Spotify, you can follow that playlist. It's public, so go check it out. It's called Podcast Show Playlist. Um, so you didn't serenade like the audience with any tracks from Sufjan Stevens' Carrying the Well? you know? No. Bemoaning his that would have been great, mother. Yeah, not, not <laughs> did Arca great. show up? Because it wasn't up. Um, no, I had fi- fi- finalized that playlist before we did Arca, and I oh. didn't want to. I want. I already had a set flow for it, so I didn't want to change it. But, um, but Ill, it, Ill taste on my part, perhaps. Uh, yeah, a little <laughs> bit. Um, but what was really exciting is not only getting to do that, but Anya, of course, mentioned me saying that you know I DJ burlesque shows, but also mentioned both Crash Chords podcast and autographs. And referred people to business cards that I put out, referred people to the Facebook and website. So she she pushed us pretty hard, which was really nice. Um, uh, a few people thanked me for the playlist and seemed to really enjoy the show. The acts were great. Um, there was a serial act. There was, of course, a Welcome to Nightville act. There's a performer named Ravanessa who is a improv star who also does burlesque and took a sample of a podcast called What Is This Podcast and acted it out on stage and also stripped. It was really funny. And um, what is that podcast about? So, it, it, I forget the, the woman who hosts it, but it's essentially just a day in the life podcast, it seems. Like, a woman talking about recording, and she's a comedian, and it's pretty funny. And and so, she was just literally acting out this woman's kind of internal dialogue, because it's person, microphone kind of a podcast. That's interesting. And Very so, inward. Yeah. Interesting. So, so yeah. And, um, of course, Anya Keister hosted the show as Sexy Ira Glass. Although, truth be told, for some people that's just Ira Glass. So, you know, which is a joke she made um, that I'm stealing. Um, but, yeah, it was it was really well done and I had a blast. The other show I did was, of course, from the mind of the brilliant and ridiculous Nasty Canasta. It was our yearly pirate show where I put a collection of pirate music together. And uh, the, the script she comes out 
with are just ridiculous. But I got many compliments on the playlist. A lot of people asked about the podcast there, too. So uh, an official thank you to both Nasty Canasta and Anya for involving me in their shows. And uh, I will keep you guys abreast of, no pun intended, although sort of pun intended. Burlesque. Uh, He's talking about burlesque. Um, of future shows coming up. But it was really, really cool to kind of do something focused on podcasts and to be included as not necessarily an expert, but at least someone who's been in the field a while and was included because I have a podcast and it was, and also had skills to lend to the burlesque show. So that was a lot of fun. We're a part of it too, you know, just to say. <laughs> I'm aware, but you're not a DJ. <laughs> I'm here. This is true. I'm here. Are you? Yeah. Really? John exists. <clears throat> Does he? In in some universe. I thought we. I imagine there's a lot of universes in no, which he's. No, I thought we discussed that John is our mutual figment of our no, imagination. No, you are both mutual hallucinations, and I'm just doing voices in my bedroom. Okay, you're you're a mutual figment, and and I'm a mutual hallucination. What are you, Matt? Do you exist in all universes? Yeah, I'm. Can well, a universe exist without Matt Storm, aka A Storm, again? I don't think so. I think that's part of the title. I should add that to the to the available in all universes. <laughs> right, it's great for marketing. It is really great for marketing. I like that. But um, but in all seriousness, it was nice to be able to further put the podcast out there. Um, you know, I'm proud of what we do, and it was great to be able to include that. So, um, hopefully, there'll be another podcast show, and you guys can come. All right. Well, it is your pick this week, but yeah. I, I, I just have a couple things to say. You'll discuss the album we're doing in a moment, but I just wanted to briefly note that, see, me and John sometimes get caught up in these pitched battles in our picks, experimental, avant-garde, and honestly, someone's got to pop that bubble, and that somebody is usually Matt. And it's much appreciated, otherwise I suspect that me and John would probably just float away into space. Part of my favorite thing actually about this podcast is that we go through phases. Prog rock is just as likely to be bracketed by teeny bop and screamo as surf rock is to be bracketed by grunge and German expressionism. Uh, and since the possibilities are so limitless, we'd probably never profess to have exhibited a comprehensive cross-section of the genrescape, but so far I'd say that it's been pretty good and it'll only get more diverse with time. So uh, what did you bring us this week? So as a caveat, I would just like to point out that um, the last pers person to bring a mainstream pop record on this show was, in fact, you, Steve Nagel. Sean Mendes. Yes. So, <laughs> Episode which I still hear that song and on the radio. by Sean Mendes. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. Yeah. So. Is that a burn? I guess. Okay. Burn. Maybe. It's just a statement of fact at uh, this point. Well, that's anyway. also true. Um, so my I heard this, him in a mall. Th this pick um, was inspired, actually, by a mutual friend of mine and John's, because I don't know if Steve's met him. His name is Andrew Daniele. He's a fan of their performance live. He's always told me about it. Um, and it's the Blue Man Group. Um, they have a brand new record out called Three. Um, either because it's their third studio record that's not a live record, or because there's three members of the band. Either or way. Or they just like the number. I it don't, could I'm be that, I'm not going to discredit that. It's a good number. But um, I'm a fan of the Blue Man Group's work. I've not seen the live show, but I've seen stuff online. And their last album, which was their second record, the, it's technically... Not their last album because they had a live album in between. Anyway, their second record, The Complex, um, I really enjoyed because it had this weird mix of some interesting experimental rock mixed in with a lot of pop rock and featured a lot of cool uh, singer-songwriters. You know, Dave Matthews was on it, Gavin Rossdale was on it, and they did some kind of very predictable pop songs, but they had that kind of catchy vibe that, you know, Blue Man Group survives on. I mean, it's what they do. Well, that is true. I mean, I preface this by it being entirely in contrast to some of the experimental bands that we've looked at in recent weeks, but yet this does kind of fall under the umbrella of experimental theater in a way. Yeah, sure. They probably certainly well, for were sure when they formed theater. back in 1991. Yeah. Um, and so their new record... I kind of just found on a whim I was doing the thing that the three of us tend to do when we're at a loss for what to pick and just scanning through new releases, and I saw this. And 
having a somewhat familiar knowledge, but not too different from M83 and just knowing the previous record and that's about it, not the whole breadth of their work, I was like, all right, well, let's give it a shot. I like theatrical stuff. I often harp on theatrical music in albums that we've reviewed, so why not pick this? And so I did. Well, I like to throw in just a couple little wiki quotes, at least some of the ones that are, I think, most appropriate. Uh, the fact that they obviously consist of at least the core group, because they've been heavily franchised into all those different cities, but the core group is Chris Wink, uh, Matt Goldman, and Phil Stanton, and they started in New York on the Lower East Side, and it says that they emerged from small, quote-unquote, disturbances on the streets of the city, growing then into small shows at downtown clubs, and eventually becoming f a full performance at the Astor Place Theater, and it has caught a lot of attention. Uh, I, I found it interesting that they called it disturbances, because when you, when you visualize, like, a the Blue Man Group occurring at a time when no one knew the Blue Man Group. And if it just occurred on like on a street corner and you just saw a bunch of people painted in blue banging on random objects, you'd probably be a little disturbed. If I you mean, had no frame of reference. Right, sure. Yeah. Well, and I think it would stop you in your tracks, too. I mean, think about Stomp. Stomp as a theater show has been around for ages, and I've mm -hmm. seen it several times, and it's, it's gone through evolutions, but all in all, it's the core of it's been the same. But I'm pretty confident that also started as a street performance. And it would be like if you saw guys dancing with trash cans on their feet and banging around. Banging like, on a dumpster. You're, you're a hooligan. <laughs> it's a little extreme, but, but, but it would be eye-catching. It would be interesting. And same with, you know, guys painted blue, I feel like, would be like, well, well that's weird. What is that? It, I, I don't understand. It you know? would, but like we've been saying with just about everything experimental, all it takes is just one little idea, and mm -hmm. then suddenly you've launched an entirely new genre. So the idea of banging on a dumpster is something that, well, while it probably has a very unique timbre, Maybe someone never thought of it before, or at least no one marketed it. They right. marketed it, and then they went all out with all of their different ideas. Now they actually have a, a laboratory of, yeah. of some kind. Mm -hmm. They have a, a studio where they get to build instruments. Uh, on this album, Phil Stanton um, is a performer. He will be performing on most of the air poles, extension cord bull roars, and ribbon crashers, drum bones, tubulums, mid-octave PVCs. That's PVC piping, which is uh, will make frequent occurrences in this album. Backpack tubulums and yes, the aforementioned dumpsters. Uh, Matt Goldman will also be performing on air poles and ribbon crashers. Um, also drum bones, a lot of the similar stuff here. Another thing that will be returning is a, a new instrument, as far as my knowledge of it is concerned, and that's the cymbalum. A cymbalum is kind of like a dulcimer in that it's a string instrument which is laid flat, and then it instead of actually being plucked like a dulcimer would be, this is actually like a mallet instrument. You'd take a mallet to it to the draw strings like you would a xylophone. Um, and then an upside-down bass. Gonna guess that's just, you know, statement of fact. Bass turned upside-down. A yeah. uh, gong, and then uh, an utni. So, yeah, lots of stuff going on here. Oh, also a piano smasher. It, just, it, sounds, it sounds intense. Now, to, know, to note here, rather, they invented a lot of these instruments. Maybe not all of them, but for sure a good majority. Like, mm -hmm. that's what they do. They take PVC piping and some other stuff, and they build the shit. And it's pretty impressive. I mean, when you think about it, it's just kind of mind-blowing that they've made a career out of not only making strange music, but also building the instruments they play it with. Well, that adds to a very visual aspect that is kind of a very unique part of their performances in addition to just the sounds that these instruments can do. Because well, the idea like that the, every time you, when, when they walk on stage with something, you're not going to recognize it. You well, know, there is some like, things are even recognizable now, like the tubulum. Which is well, that variety of random tubes that explode from the center of the chest all around. Yeah. And there's just, they, they twist and wind. And each of them are 
in addition to being visually aesthetic to the instrument itself, but very designed to be like that so that make particular notes and particular sounds. Like, it's a combination of art, visual art, with the actual sound art that the instruments themselves are to produce. It's especially a visual thing when they're actually building the instrument on stage during the middle of the performance. The tubulum will expand into several different portions and they Well, let's talk about particularly the backpack tubulum. Oh, the, the backpack, one they actually oh, wear, right. Which looks like a, the, a jet pack for somebody who had too many jets. Multiple varieties of yeah. PVC appearances here, it seems. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a pretty intense project. Of course, now, you know, in the many years since the Blue Man Group initially, you know, made their foray and I guess shocked people people. Uh, it's kind of a familiar thing now. It's, it's a, I, I definitely wouldn't reduce it to anything like a gag, but it is something that people, I think, maybe a little bit more expect now than they did back then. Yeah, uh, I mean, performance art, I mean, has come a long way, I think, especially in the last decade or two, but I, th I think the way they branded, for sure, makes them more well-known, so... I'd say expectations as far as Blue Man Group have changed just because they're a commodity. They've been around for a while, and they've, yeah, that's they've what, popularized. That's a yeah. commodity is, is, is a perfect way to describe it. So I guess let's just jump in here. I mean, when you're looking at a Blue Man Group album, it's a little bit different because you're not going to get the visual element, but you can try to use your imagination uh, to the best of your ability. So say, for instance, here in track one, which is called Dispatches One. This is a relatively short track. It's only about a minute, 21 seconds long. It's short enough to qualify, I think, as an intro piece. Uh, I mean, I guess even a 30-minute symphony could qualify as an intro piece because if it came first in the lineup, then it's an intro piece. Why not? But it, I would say here, let's not debate semantics if we weren't actually all about semantics here on <laughs> Fresh Chords. So what I mean is intro pieces imply that it, they imply an aesthetic preface in place of, let's say, narrative content which would follow. But this is one of those rare cases where my reaction to the aesthetic here is very clear-cut. Like I was describing, it's basically, yeah, that's Blue Man Group. <laughs> the reverb, the pure percussion, the rawness, the tribal element, it all brings back the, all the commercials and the promotions for the Blue Man Group, which have been aired nearly my entire life. So yeah, aesthetics, while I'm not going to dismiss it entirely, are a little self-explanatory here. Secondly, speaking to the notion of narrative content, I immediately picked up on some things that I do not frequently encounter in percussion pieces, even pure percussion pieces. Uh, when the drums have free reign and are expected to fill in for roles that are almost exclusively relegated to other instruments, you can do some pretty neat things. Uh, granted, I believe the Blue Man Group includes a lot of other instruments on this album as well. Everything's not necessarily percussion. Uh, so there's a lot of other oddball objects being used perhaps as percussion or as other things. But when they feature percussion pieces prominently or percussion elements, you're not going to get melody necessarily unless it's pitched percussion. You won't get melody in the traditional sense, but in its place you do get phrasing. Typically much more advanced phrasing than you'd find elsewhere because their craft at this point in the 25 years since is somewhat honed. There are patterns that gain character more through volume and through timbre variation than through pitch variation. I think that what I like best about this intro piece in particular is that Aesthetically, it doesn't. I don't just picture a stage with them playing here. Like you had said, it kind of felt tribal. I got kind of a jungle atmosphere because of the way it, it progressed. Mm -hmm. um, but all in all, I felt like it was a, a nice intro piece and a smooth transition into the second track, which we'll get to in a minute. I think that 
it, you know, it didn't stay too long. It kind of introduced you to their work. And as someone who's familiar with their work, I felt like it also even was a little different from the previous stuff I had heard. It was invigorating. It mm -hmm. was uh, when the primary percussion line seems to be built around a big drum or a drum wall, as I believe they may in fact call it. It's, it's designed to be a very heavy heartbeat just set up something that is going to get their blood flowing well like i said when in terms of like volume and timbre variation instead of you know pitch variation that's the kind of thing like the heartbeat like it, it comes from a distance and it creeps up on you in the beginning so see it's just in that even though they haven't changed pitch at all it's just through the drums that they're creating a lot something a little bit more elaborate than you'd find if it was just a drum set in let's say you know insert random band here um but there's more than that like i said everything's not percussion, there's something that sounds around, even just around 15 seconds, that early into this piece, you get something that kind of sounds like a didgeridoo to my ears. Um, we didn't really figure out what exactly what that was, except perhaps that it might just be vocals through PVC pipe. I mean, my guess is that it would be a long pipe that they're making noises into. I mean, that's essentially what a didgeridoo is. I mean, there's a little more complication yeah. to it than that, but it is a long cylinder that you're blowing into, so I feel like it's probably something along those lines. Though it might actually be, and this is where I put my money, the extension cord bull roarer. Yeah, that because was an interesting one. actual bull roarer is a piece of wood on a string, you spin around, and it creates a vibration type of a tone. And this, if you're throwing extension cords into something that makes a vibration tone, I would actually probably say it, it, it might be that. Like, it and could be that, but, like, much, very far on the low end. Like I, if, I, I don't know. If, if it can do that, that's really impressive. So there's going to be a lot of guesswork, and I'll just prepare listeners for that. I mean, no one can fully understand the details of what they did except them, because they did it in a laboratory. It's not It's not exactly standardized, um, except maybe that they standardized it. Uh, there's another thing, around like just 20 seconds, what sounds like a stringed instrument. This this could have very well have been the cymbalum. Um, now, that's a, that seems to have been a pretty old instrument, I think. There's a video of, of uh, on YouTube of somebody playing like Hungarian folk using that instrument, so that may be something that pre-exists. But it's still, I'm not really getting a sense of melody yet until maybe 36 seconds. In. There's a kind of melody here. It's a whirring. It's almost alien, um, but it's also very pleasant and consonant. Kind of the whole feel by from here to the end of this intro piece is that it's. Uh, imagine like the Bob O'Reilly solo from you know the Who. Yeah, like sure, it, sure. it has that feel to it, or it feels like it's going to break out into that at any moment. It has that air of positivity. Yeah, just resounding positivity, which is not foreign to Blue Man Group's work. They do a lot of uplifting kind of. Uh, energizing stuff. I mean, when you're doing a live performance, that's the kind of stuff you want. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense. And I do like that, you know, there is kind of a seamless transition to the forge, not necessarily because they overlap in a specific way. It's kind of like as one's ending, the other starts, and it kind of, there's just this, this moment of inception where the forge begins, which is track two. Yeah. And what I liked about the forge, I mean, besides name alone, is that the percussion here did feel more mechanical, more industrial, not music genre, but like you know, a place of industry. That said, it's not really going too far away from the introduction right. to this album. It does feel like it's a more of a pure extension on the themes that were being built in the first track. It definitely carries over the the inspiration element, I think. Um, and, and honestly, that connects with the title for me very, very strongly. Because like Matt said, you think when you think of the Forge, you think of like raw material being transformed into something useful for the first time. And as a fan of science and metallurgy and, and the history thereof, I find that very inspiring. 
It feels this whole track feels like an ode to productivity itself. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an exciting setup just from the beginning. I love the the timbre of this opening bass sound, which is uh, it sounds like a really dense material is being modified to emit kind of an uncanny pitch, and that we are pretty sure is the PVC at action. And then uh, a regular drum set starts. Uh, entering in here before a few transitions. There's a lot of there's a lot of like section sectional division in their pieces, um, and you first notice it here in in the forge because it's the first like full piece. And I, here it's almost like soda cans being popped, a little just like tiny little pops where they strip away the previous instrumentation, and now you're just left with that. It's just like these little pops and fizzles last for a couple of measures. And then we're back to the previous setup. Mm-hmm. So they always give you these little breathers to contrast what they're doing, because perhaps there's the uh, the downside is it could be perceived as a wall of sound, even sure. as busy as it is. Yeah, and I mean, I think that those breath marks, those minor breakdown moments where they kind of take everything out, is, is something the song really needs. Because when it comes back to the kind of uplifting thing it was building mm-hmm. prior to that, you know, it kind of reinvigorates it. It's not. It could feel also very samey, like in the uh, sense of the wall of sound, but also just as for repetition's sake, it could feel like it's just too much and it's going on too long. I like the progression of the track that's created by adding those kind of spaces. And because the percussion lines are so different, if you get introduced to too many at one time or in too quick of a succession, it starts blending a little bit too much. Here, they really, by having those little, like, I called them scat ideas. Just just a, a random series of noises yeah. they use to break everything up. It is like a scat. It just feels like a It, it an feels very solo. off the cuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Having that breaking the whole thing up, when they start doing a different idea, when they start introducing a new layer to the build, I'm ready for it because I know it's going to be just the extension, just the build. And this is a build I'm really, really enjoying. It, it also makes me kind of imagine this in the soundtrack sense because, like I said at the beginning, it, it's hard to not... It's hard to edit out the Blue Man group concept. Yeah. So all the while you're trying to perceive this as like, oh, this is, this is an album. It speaks for itself. It stands alone. It stands alone. And yet I know that there are shows meant to go along with this. So mm-hmm. when there are those little inserts, I kind of expect like that moment where everyone holds their breath. Everyone's just stopped and they yield to the one guy in the center who now gets to have his little solo. And then there's a brief applause following that before they go back to, you know, yeah. everybody else joining in. So it makes me kind of perceive this this whole album as having, like, a clapping track, you know? Sure, like, that I separate little that. track to, like, as things get cued and then taken away. We get and a- then we do get that in a sort of solo towards the, the latter half of the track. Yeah. When the, I guess it's the drum bone, because of the way the pitch changes, I'm going to say it's probably that piece where the three of them get together and have those intricate PVC pipes being moved in and out of one another as one of the three plays on it. Mm -hmm. That section being combined with, I think it's the symbolum. Yeah. Uh, on top of it, where it, it's emulating a, a softer string instrument, the mm-hmm. two of them doing that very soft kind of bridge section is, it's it's a very heartwarming piece, mm-hmm. which feels weird because a lot of the other stuff didn't feel like it was going to touch you that way. And here, yeah... So when the chorus section, I guess I call it the chorus section because it has that cowboy gothic twang to it. Yeah. It's it's it feels a lot more connected, a lot more emotional than it did in its first rendition. Also because we have a melody here. Yes. Like this is the first moment I guess in the album that we're we're experiencing a distinct melody. Um and all the while in the in in the, the backdrop it, like it, it's it's funny because it has 
it has like an alt rock air to it. Sure. Just like in. And they've been labeled as that yeah, before. Yeah, yeah. Alt alternative rock, uh, experimental rock, I guess all of that sort. Um, and it kind of drips back and forth as to me as to whether this is like theater or just like an alt rock inspirational, you know. Uh, run five miles to this track because it'll get you going kind sure. of thing. I mean, I think all in all, the, the the way the track kind of wraps up, I agree. The, the the slower part gives it a different emotional perspective than it had before. But that said, I feel like as a whole, the track kind of felt a little predictable. I mean, especially towards the end, like I saw it heading in that direction after we got the slow part. And that's part. because inspirational tracks tend to have very predictable chords. Yeah. I mean, it's trying to get everyone everyone to experience the same thing. And well, musicians If you want to bring learned, an audience in, like that's the way you do it. Musicians have learned there are tricks to this. Yeah. There's also the fact that it, it kind of has a verse chorus setup without any vocals. The back and forth between that, that, that gothic section that mm -hmm. steps in really did feel southern, like a southern course. gothic specific. yeah the southern yeah. gothic really did feel like a a coarse culmination of an idea and it does go back and forth back and forth between the two with that soft section really is a, a bridge really very much fulfills that role yeah so it i can see where people are going to label it as predictable in this sense because it does have it actually has a format it actually yeah. has a very familiar format it's not as experimental as you would expect the experimentation is in the actual execution i think not the, the instrumentation right. and the sound of the instruments themselves right because for the most part like realistically this is like 95 percent percussion even though the percussion lines can emulate strings and guitar work and stuff of that sort well, I also don't mean to imply that the pitch percussion, things like the, the symbolum, you know, can't perform melodies. Of course, right. pitch percussion, you know, the piano is, is the most frequently termed pitch percussion instrument anyway. And it can thoroughly exist and stand alone and carry every element, the bass, the, the melody, everything. Um, but yeah, it, it's a lot of emulation. Like, it's really hard to avoid the word guitar, I noticed, when yeah. describing certain of these. Like, you know, you, you do your research and it's like, oh, that's, that's probably a symbolum. But that, oh, that barely even sounds like a symbolum. That really sounds like a guitar. Sure. And then you see, you know, certain little videos where they they have a backing ensemble anyway, and it's, yeah. there's clearly guitarists standing performed. So I don't know if there's really a rhyme or reason to it. It's just whatever they're feeling at the moment. So which is why it's hard to parse that out as you go through this album. Some things are experimental. Some things they do what they need to fit the form. Track three, Hex Suit. So... If the second track was kind of an overall kind of industry feeling, this feels even more hard-coded robotic. The I, tinny sounds in the intro, so the, the tinny sounds in the intro kind of have this like clanking reverb to it, which gives off, of course, a robotic feel. That really reminded me of one Joseph Bertolozzi, who we've sure. talked about a lot. And that's I'm actually impressed that we went this long with not bringing him up, because yeah. he is, well, we, uh, Matt interviewed him on autographs. Uh, we talked extensively about his new um, tower music project, performing music made only using the Eiffel Tower. And his whole shtick is, is you know, percussion is everything. Yeah. Yeah. Percussion is is the whole entire goal, and his 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 shtick specifically is that the structures can be made to perform that. So in many ways, he is also an inventor. He just use he uses existing things, but then creates using those things. It, it's it's not it's not standardized. Um, but this intro to Hex Suit specifically really sounded like something that was straight off of Tower Music, and I imagine that he'd probably be very honored at this point that, that he is actually my go-to reference point, perhaps <laughs> over that of the Blue Man group when I'm thinking about, you know, innovators. But what this goes through actually is one of the most interesting builds on the entire album, in my opinion, because it it's a combination of being very regimented, because when something comes in, it feels like 
that individual line, that individual PVC instrument is going to be doing that for the rest of its life. It doesn't change too much. Mm -hmm. But as each line comes in, it feels like it fractures the overall theme a little bit more and a little bit more because everything's ever so slightly offset from what it, it feels like would be the most natural. Not everything is really hitting its major beat, its major mark, at the same moment. The slight variation between the two, when you start getting a, a halting, quote, guitar showing up, or you're getting something that's a little more wubby and feels a little bit more techno to counterpoint that, each layer adds more to the timing, but adds more to the chaos, which is a weird combination of just the two ideas. Well, there were moments in this track where I honestly thought there was synth and tech sound bites. I know there weren't. I know it's all natural. This is all stuff they're creating. It sounds very futuristic. But but it, yeah, it sounded like uh, Steve said that it, it was reminiscent of the first StarCraft game and some of the <laughs> stuff you would hear in the backgrounds on certain planets, which is not far afield. I had a kind of spacey adventure vibe from it too. I would even say if this was used as, this, as the background music to that game, it would probably be better than the music that was actually used in that game. Probably. Oh, be quiet. StarCraft is awesome. No, I, I love StarCraft, but it's like seriously that <laughs> there were there's things here that I feel it could, could bring out the feel of yeah. the game better. I mean, I guess it's it's very difficult for me to not listen to this kind of music without attaching your own soundtrack in your head. Yeah, I mean, well, there there is some heavy visualization in some of their stuff. Here, I felt like The Forge had more of a place vibe to me. This kind of had more of a thing But did vibe. the music provide it, or did the title kind of give it away a little bit? Uh, maybe There's some a little linkage above. there. And, you know, when you're talking about visualization, obviously it's a very subjective thing, but that may be the one little problem that we do have uh, this week, considering some of our recent albums is because when they were experimental in the sense that they were introducing multiple layers of experimental. Experimental texture went without saying, but then also experimental themes. Themes that you would not, you know, think of right away. But yet we can kind of use some general terms for this. The inspirational one, the futuristic one. These are kind of generalized uh, terms that may rob this of a little bit of uh, thematic originality. Yeah. Um, and that may be the one little problem with this. But uh, that said, I do I do have a lot of nice things to say, especially about the melody here. It's, it's, it's a kind of a weird melody. I think John mentioned a little bit earlier uh, this this sort of guitarish thing. That could have very well been the symbol, but it's like a guitar with a very rough edge to it. And it comes in with just these like little two notes. So, uh, one E, a three. One E, a three. A one. A three. And it's just like two notes. It almost it actually reminded me of John Carpenter's The Thing. <laughs> and how you, in the very beginning, you just hear those two notes. Obviously, that was far more ominous than sure, this. Sure, sure. But this had kind of the same, uh, that, that same little uh, playful in a way, um, but a little foreboding. It occurs amidst a lot of chaos and all of the tech rattles. So it was still, it was still drawing me in on several different levels. But then there is a shift, and it occurs around 1 minute 40 seconds. It feels like the track goes full techno, or at least feels full synthesized. There's a lot of different tones that we just didn't get on the first section showing up here, and it really starts feeling like they're just expanding the repertoire of what's going on. Exactly. And then what happens is we go through multiple renditions of the same theme, or just multiple themes, pretty rapidly, like a, 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 a whizzy tappy section then a woozy wubby section i don't know how else to describe <laughs> this is going to start sounding like a fuzzy wuzzy was a bear in a minute they but. seem to be hearkening back to the actual rhythm and to the actual overall feel of what was built in that a section yeah, there but are the motifs. shifts the shifts though really do feel like it's a 
the same scene, but with a different style choice, a different era choice being thrown on top of it. It's a very weird section. Yeah, they have. I think this is where they kind of they kind of depart the pop structure that we may be falsely attributing to them because it's this is not like a verse chorus kind of piece. No. Um, this like. As of this shift, they follow through on distinct motifs. You know, this is more in the vein of composition. They're they're borrowing from things here and there, and they're kind of creating their own structure as they go. Because as of 1 minute 40, like, I noticed that, yeah, it is a lot... It, it sounds a lot heavier. It definitely sounds like much more of a blur, but it, it still is built off of these, like, two adjacent uh, major chords, it seems. And, and the, the pulse still seems like it occurs on the 1 and the 3, very much like the melody earlier on. But it, it, it feels so much more weighted now and a little bit less playful because the the backdrop has shifted a bit. There's a lot of like deep cuts, a lot of sloops and warbles and they do kind of overtake the ri- the rhythm at some point. Um and then at the very end they even return to the two chord thing. So it's interesting to follow what they choose to keep and what they choose uh to toss away. And I do think that would maybe be the one uh problem I have with this is it seems like sometimes they have such a free reign over form that because they're not always fitting pop structure but also haven't fully established their own structure sometimes it seems like their segments occur on a whim but they're aware of what they're doing when they do it it's because the through line of the melody itself and the rhythm itself the actual timing of the piece still feels true to it yeah and the motifs again but the thing i'm missing from that a section is the chaos it doesn't feel like there's chaos anymore because it feels like instead of being a description of an item... I don't know. I thought, I thought that 140 more, did add a lot of chaos. It add, it, it lost that, that kind of cheerful, happy-go-lucky, that kind of uplifting chaos in the previous section. Maybe, maybe the pitter-patter. Yeah, like the that's, pit, okay, that's, that's our, really it. That, that was lost. See, we got to like. be specific about what we're defining when we say chaos. When but we that say I marbles and woozies and whatnot. Like it, it is true, actually, that the, the Joseph Bergelosi-esque... Yes, I'm making him an esque right now. The we're going to go esque. The intro to this piece, that has kind of completely left. That yeah. was pure metallic, and that was only in the beginning, and I didn't really find much of it uh, near the end. I, I feel like that was meant to link to the previous track, not coexist through the rest of the track. Well, yeah, I mean, the... It makes sense, certainly, considering the forge, uh, but I wasn't sure if that was really there at the tail end. I mean, Again, it, this is what I mean by, like, slight little inconsistencies. Like, right. I like to see some, you know, logical answers to previous sections as opposed to, uh, you know, remake, remake, remake. And I get that, but I, we're also talking about the Blue Man group here who, they're all about kind of remake, 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 and create an event, and so, like, referring back and well, they're being also referential. On, they're on Easy Street right now. Well, I mean, I guess. Again, there's a lot of that. They're the Blue Man group. Right, which we can't use as issues for everything. But let's go on to track four, Three to One, which is featuring Rob Swift and Mike Realm. Um, so this track, I feel like... It, is really a better example of what Steve was kind of complaining about a bit in the previous track. Whereas here, even though it starts with this kind of awe moment, more or less, it starts to do things that aren't super experimental in a sense that's super innovative like the previous records we had done. All right, so let me focus on the awe first, because sure. I definitely did like the beginning of this piece, but I know what you're going to go into. This is, the, the intro would, I think it definitely brings back the, the symbolum. It mm-hmm. sounds kind of eastern. It's very dramatic. This this was a, a theme I could get behind, and it feels like this is something that could function as narrative content if you develop uh, if you developed that, if you tried to, you know, establish some kind of musical story to the to the big theme that was presented in the beginning. I, I enjoyed it. 
But what it goes into is something a little bit more industrial. Like, it, it all feels at this point completely like video game background music. Yeah. I mean, one sound by, I ain't gonna interject here, kind of got on my nerves, uh, was the, the title, the, the 3 two, one which, by the way, in the title is, is the number 3, 2, the word, you know, as in 3 over 2, 1. Yeah. But that's just, just an inherent pun there, and it's not the most clever pun in the world, and that it obviously sounds also like the numbers 3, 2, the number 2, and 1. And that is said right here in the soundbite. This guy comes in and says, listen, 3, 2, 1. Like, he's, he's, he's preparing you for something. And that recurs several times. It's a running soundbite, and it's kind of a non-entity to me. Like, it's well, just the title of the track. The, the track, to me, seems structured more like a modern DJ track. And the thing that was really interesting, the very beginning, though, is the percussion that came in right after the part that Steve was talking about kind of felt a little 80s. It kind of had this kind of tone that was reminiscent of a synth kind of ping. But, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, it does shift in an odd way and then does feel more modern after that. Well, that techno-y PVC sound, which yeah. I believe was off of the, the octane PVCs or something of that sort that they tend to do as the trio of them. At least that's what I think it is. It's still hard. But it, it does bear a lot of resemblance to old school 1980s and 90s techno beats. Sure. It really does a lot also to ground that airy nature we got in the very beginning. That grounding, yeah, I didn't want it per se because I like the expanse we were enjoying, but it does a lot later on because at 220, we we start going into almost a percussion solo-ish kind of an idea. This shift allows that earlier PVC techno idea to start expanding upon itself and to go through different ideas. What it first starts off with, yeah, duh, I kind of expected a rebuild of the main percussion line. Well, we let the air out a little yeah. bit from the earlier stuff, and actually, I, I was kind of appreciative of that. And and there were some things here that I really did like, I think more oh, more than the beginning of the track, like 224, just like inching this section forward. It, it yeah. almost comes down to a silence, and we rebuild it with these like little high-pitched, rapid runs, uh, which I thought was like a great touch. It, it's probably more PVC stuff, but it's like a really, really high pitched tinny sh brief version of it um, and then what I loved even more was the section that followed which is when the main theme kind of persists while the rhythm has grown a lot more complex um, it's it's doubled by this plucking sound which I think is also the symbol um and the chords here are just a lot more interesting as well I, I, I find that the, the pitches in here everything is just kind of jiving together to maybe for the first time uh, introduce some some musical narrative content, because you won't be getting lyrics, except in one instance later in the album. But I'm more intrigued by what the symbolum's doing in contrast with the rest of the percussion line, because the symbolum feels like it becomes the rhythm section, the pure rhythm section, and the percussion's doing a lot of just pure melody work on top of it. Um, I like the, 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 the really sonic shift that's going on between the two different ideas. Yeah, that's ideas. true. That's true. The, the, I think I would visualize the percussion as the more higher pitch percussion as being the melody. And then the cymbalum kind of comes and goes. And it accents little moments. But there's, there's like little harmonies, little dissonant yeah. harmonies that they create there, which I absolutely love. Um, so they're always using instruments. Not only the instruments themselves unexpected, but they're using them in unexpected ways. They they trade up roles also at whim, and that part about the I really enjoy. Me too. I just feel like this track as a whole. I had to wait a long time to get to the part that I liked. Exactly. The the earlier part of the track was it a kind of woke me up me. that two twenty mark. Which but I mean, I, I like could be build. intended too. I love the build though that happens that 
is the precursor to this experimental percussion line. I feel like they're kind of two different ideas, though. Well, yeah, I'm not disagreeing that the second part is good. I'm agreeing that the first part made me wait too long for the second part. And I agree, they seem a little separate. But but then again, modern DJ tracks often have harsh and ridiculous shifts, which is what I think they're trying to emulate here. So... I don't, but I don't feel like the first part was making me wait for the second. The first part, oh, I, I felt agree. like stand up on his own, and felt like a nice, long, expansive build. It's the it's the two of them being put together that I question because yeah. they do feel like two different ideas. I One think there are a couple a of textural, motifs. Well, no, no, the motifs and the through lines are there, but the, like the first rhythm of like this build and four one and. Four. Four. I think that persisted even in other elements. Yeah, it, it, they're connected. I will. I will admit that they're connected, but they feel like two very different dichotomies. One is a solid build, and the other section is solid experimentation on one solid theme. Like it feels like the A to B was a little bit. Yeah, but I didn't think A sec- was a solid build. I, it just, they feel, it didn't they feel sell too me section. enough for me to say that. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, so we're kind of. Capping out on that one. <laughs> let's uh, let's go to track five, alive. Uh, so th- this mixed so- feelings. Yeah. Th- so this song um, aesthetically has this kind of ethereal feel. It's you know your kind of cliche expectation for something that sounds of, expiring and of, bright. Which yeah. words we've already said. And yeah. this was kind of even more on the nose. I mean, this at th- this point, this sounded like a TV drama intro. Um, I mean, I, I, an up I, a light-hearted TV drama I was intro. Yeah. Uh, you know, like okay, maybe they're solving crimes, but they're they're fun and quirky personalities. You know, well like, that's because like of, a lot of shows, you get the the epic dramatic introduction, and then it yeah. goes really high yeah. in full force, and then goes low to simmer down, and goes really high yeah. in full force as everybody looks to the camera as their name scrolls along the screen. It felt kind of cliche. That said, it was a fun build it was an enjoyable track but it did come off as sugar free maybe this is a, this speaks to a personality <laughs> but i there are, there are sparse moments of sadness and those are my favorite parts of this piece sparse moments like at 1 minute 31 seconds i think it was something in the guitars they they just come together again in the little little brief moments of dissonance or just a chord twist here and there because everything otherwise is so full of you know bring yourself you you feel alive just listening to this and yet at the same time largely i feel nothing until those moments where i feel more alive but yeah, but then right after that moment that you're describing, at around 140, it just shifts hard into this arena rock track. It sounds like something yeah. you hear almost ACDC playing. Like, it's just, it feels very, you know, hello, San Diego, we're going to well, rock at you. At that point, I feel like it's a generic kind of a line. No, yeah, I agree. I call it emotional knee jerks. Like, it's, it's oh, yeah, yes, they're really just tapping you in the face, tapping you in the <laughs> prefrontal lobe to make you go excited or sad or something else with voiceover. Like, it's it's a little bit too I mean, strong projection in this case. I would argue that it, shifting into that tone is not super unexpected considering, again, at the core of this, they are a theatrical act. However, I feel like they've done it better on this album and in previous things I've seen. So to do this kind of cliche shift into finger quotes, arena rock it was a little disappointing just because I can get that with standard instruments. I don't want it with PVC instruments. I want the cool stuff you were doing earlier. 
you know? Yeah. And that's where I think it leaves me wanting a bit in that's, this track. That's just a thing. I mean, you know, it's like we're, we're, we've clearly made we've made it abundantly clear that we're fans of what the Blue Man Group does and what they're contributing to music. But we're also here to, to look at, at, at form and, and, and composition. So I guess uh, I, I'm, I'm sensitive to what may be interpreted in this album as shock and awe. Yeah, I mean, and I don't even think it's shock, it's more just awe, or <laughs> awe. Aw. Nice um, did you there. know, and like, I feel yeah. like when we go to Snorkelbone, which is track six, there's at least more aesthetically here. I love Snorkelbone, which is a hard word to say, because of the very unique bwops, which <laughs> I, I know is more of a, it's a, it's a percussion when the sound kind of just creates a vacuum off of the PVC pipe. Wow. It's a very, very unique to just the shape and style of what a PVC pipe can do, or at least the form of what they're producing in their instruments. Wow. But it sounds so aquatic and yeah. so drop-oriented. Yeah, you were doing it to me earlier. Kind yeah, of looked like a fish. Yeah, it's... <laughs> Wop. Matt said "flop," but there's a very hard <laughs> in the front. But I think, wop. but what I like wop. about those sounds is it creates this kind of not necessarily cave environment, but definitely like underground, submerged, kind of wet. Yeah, it's kind of wet in general. And, and it, like also that kind of uh, wop sound that we're describing reminds me of like the striking your cheek to make a water drop sound. That, that one. one. It's just you know, John, courtesy of John. <laughs> yeah, it, it feels it feels very you know. It just gives an aesthetic. It, it just like you think a water drop is actually happening when someone does that. You know, here too, you feel like you're in a hollow space with large water droplets just hitting something. Well, now that we're getting back to imagery, which is where I like to stay, yeah. uh, I have another approach to this. This is I'm keeping with the video game analogies. Far be it from me to be with, with the video game analogies, That's my but job. specifically, I guess strategy games because yeah. they would typically have a they're little bit more. They're all about aesthetic. They're all about aesthetic. Kind of just establishing a certain mood sure. and well, depending upon whether it was well. Starcraft was a, a strategy game set in the future, and this is, well, I'm about to mention Civilization, sure. which is, well, across all spans of swaths of time, but specifically here, I feel like I'm in, like, the ancient stage of the game, the ancient times stage. It feels like things are being built. It still feels like there's barbarians around you. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's back to their tribal side. I like the phrasing. I like the texture here, and it feels like it's working on multiple levels again there's an echoey effect without echo. There's like little things that are very different than what I expected with a lot of this stuff. The Southern Gothic twang shows up again and it's like little shattered light just showing up in this really darker, deeper percussion line. It's it's a great combination of the two going back and forth and sort of showing a little bit of hope in something that feels very oppressive, very, very wrapped around you, wet, a little bit hairy, a little bit scary. I also can't believe I didn't think of uh, the other thing to compare to that little uh, wop sound. <laughs> and that's the, uh, the the tabla, the, the, the Indian uh, drum that usually sits low, you can sit cross-legged. Yeah, it's got it's got this this little patch in the in the in the middle of, of the cloth over the drum and that patch, if you if you tap your finger on it, usually there will be a little pitch bend attached to it. Yeah. And that was something that I, I felt here and may very well be that we're talking about the same thing. Um, but it's like over over all these like drones and whooshes, the underlying percussion I still feel is made to sound a little bit more eastern, maybe a little more tribal, and simultaneously they're exploring longer rhythmic patterns. That's another thing that I really like out of out of Indian music in general is they have a very rich tradition of like exploring rhythms that in general I just don't find anywhere else. Like they span for measures and measures and measures before they cycle, and it gives you all this room uh, room for creative improv. 
It's a wonderful thing, and I that could easily be done over this backdrop. But, and this is the big but of this track, they're a little bit more than halfway through, we get a really full force, like, boom, into something that I really feel like doesn't have a preamble. It, it The build-up to this explosion of layers, explosion of complexity, I don't feel like it was earned at this moment. I don't feel like we were really prepared for it. It... it it went too big too quickly. Yeah, that was around, yeah, it was 1 minute 55 seconds, and it's like the guitar builds and builds and builds. We crashed into full-blown full arena rock, and I just didn't feel it blended 100%. This time I, I'm saying that pretty pretty confidently. Well, I think the biggest problem is not necessarily that it didn't blend, or, or the reason it didn't blend more accurately, I guess, is because you lose the atmosphere. Exactly. Like, the whole first half of the track we're talking about is this atmosphere that was built. We're comparing it to Civilization, which is a game that's all atmosphere, because you're essentially just building communities. You're, looking, not, you're looking at numbers. You yeah, need something to yeah, draw you It's in. not a ton of action per se, so it's it's all about the environment, and that's what the song was doing. And to, to give that away, it kind of, ru- not ruined the song for me, but it was disappointing. Like, I liked the atmosphere that was being built, the things I could picture. I wasn't just picturing three dudes in blue makeup, and that was really important, I You think. can look at it through from two angles, and that's that the very interesting aesthetic in the beginning was you were robbed of it, and, yeah. and it was replaced by, it was arena rock eyes, essentially, and that's yeah. not what I want out of it. That's disappointing. And then the other angle is that well, the arena rock is John said wasn't really yeah, preamble. It wasn't prefaced. There, there was, was no link. There to was it. no build to it, so it just feels like it erupted out of something that didn't really. It didn't make sense to my ears, and all it three was, of us seem to be on the same page here. It was connected. There were parts of the rhythm and the overall feel that were still there. I could see it becoming this. I could see it yeah, hitting I think we this just, level of arena. No, no, it, but yeah. it could have taken. I mean, honestly, it, it should have taken a little bit longer, and it could have taken twenty minutes to All build right. up something I feel, like that. I, I, well, I feel like it wouldn't have been impossible to connect these. I feel like we needed at least another 30 seconds to a minute of something, some connecting piece. I feel like they aren't completely divorced. I would disagree with that. Yes. I I, I don't think they're divorced. Yeah, I think that we just didn't have the lead up and I think that would have made it a more cohesive piece if we had it. I could be mistaken, but I didn't identify uh, a connecting motif. Well, I I think because we didn't have a connecting bridge to put them together, there wasn't really a motif to find. I feel like there's a way that they could have been connected. I don't believe that they're completely divorced is essentially what I'm saying. Okay. We seem to be a little skeptical on this, but that's all right. That's that's all right. That's all well, right. We're we not... have no way of saying the drum line was the same because, well, which drum <laughs> line was the same? Yeah, I'm just trying point. to be aware of, you know, cut and paste composing. Right, of course. Um, from here we go to track seven, Symbol of Nine. Which I well, guess, I guess they the, have nine of them? I, that's what I was going to say. Maybe it's the ninth iteration of the symbol they're using. I don't know, but I'm curious as to where the other eight are. <laughs> I really like the intro to this track because you get this kind of rumbling percussion start, which I I expected more of because there's a lot of percussion, but there wasn't. It felt very earthy, you know. (laughs) I I, I like to call it grumbly oscillation because it waxes and wanes fairly regularly, and it it does sound sort of like a grumble, a growl even. It feels like it's a little bit, I don't know if it's a mean growl. There's personality to it. Yeah, and for something that really doesn't do much more than come forward and back up, it's got a lot of personality going. This right. is the first time I think I was loving the tone of the piece right off the bat. Usually it, it, it hasn't been that way and then I'll notice something later be like, oh, there, there's a nice little harmony. But here, right off the bat, I was loving this. This this chromatic tightening up uh, using the symbolum. And then uh, a repeat of the phrase kind of like opens it up again. It's, it's not it's not tightened. Instead, it's, it's, it's expanded. And with these various alterations of, of instrumentation, that's 
basically the general pattern for the whole first minute. I really love that just just the setup. It's a great it's a great theme, and it's, then it closes that out with what sounds like like almost like a low dirty cello. Maybe that was the low tone that John was describing. No, no, no. That was a different low tone, but uh, it did the, the same sort of effect that the first section was doing. It, it was redoubling and redoubling, and when that extra dirty tone comes in, it sort of re-accentuates the grumbling we got in the very beginning. It was, it's odd, because I like the way they're starting to alternate what layers they're building on, and it was nice that they started so deep and built high, 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 high on top of it and make that big, and then go, nope, nope, darkness, still yeah. still there. Well, and then, well, that's it's still a classic. I mean, that's an album motif right there because they have been doing that since track two. Mm-hmm. And those moments of, of breathing, in this case, a more ominous breath. But what I like about this track is it clearly feels like an A and B section. I feel like, you know, there's some separation here, but they're not completely divorced. There's some bleed between the two. I also think that as we move forward and we get to the typical impactful moment that they tend to deliver it feels less empty here you know the it kind feels of a lot more earned than the right. previous track the, yeah it, it has this kind of brightness that doesn't feel cheapened it feels like there's an actual inspiration behind it not that they weren't inspired before but i'm saying like your inspiration feels um it feels like it has a home and a heart and it feels like it's building on something and i really like that i think this is the part b the, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. the two minute 40 second mark it, i, I would that, agree with that the, the brightness here doesn't just feel like a, a picture of sunshine you feel like you're in the heat under the beautiful sun it's strange it's like a wonderful low-end plucky thing which mm-hmm. is probably still the pvc but it's it's strange it's a, the, it's a harsh and it's a warm the tubulum. The tubulum, yes. The tubulum. <laughs> yeah, but it, it's a harsh and it's a warm sound all at once. Mm-hmm. And the rhythm here is, is fantastic. Here's, here's an approximation. These really, really short tones again. One and two and three and four E and a one E and a two E and a three E and four and one and two and C. See how the phrasing crosses the measure? It has its own little independent thing going, and yet this is clearly still in four. And of course the tone here, how everything, it's just, it still sounds short, it still sounds like it's kind of tightening up, so it's keeping that in common with the earlier part of the track the little chromatic tightening, all of that is is very, very natural. So far, I'm, I'm much more impressed with the arc of this track. Uh, and it builds and builds and builds, and as John said, it feels earned. It feels like a really solid combination of different yeah. ideas. Now, the B section, though, still remains very distinct from the A, and I really like that aspect, too, because a different changes to the instruments because the actual tones there are there are they, points they here the same. there are points here where i could swear there are guitars here because yeah. it has a post-rock like indie feel especially you especially know? in the quiet beat uh, rebuild when it's very much that pvc drum bone or tump, uh, tubulum or whatever they're gonna call it maybe it's one of the octanes i don't know <laughs> but that with that very guitar feel is so purified that as it rebuilds I think that's where I, I say the earning comes in because that pure distillation with the different layers that come on top of it is just great yeah the, the final theme like at, at the final return of the theme I think at three minutes 50 seconds uh, it's something a little bit more tense as we start to wrap up a lot of tension is just being held here which we release very suddenly as in like clipped audio suddenly into the symbolum sounding outro which actually maintains that chord and maintains the tension through to the very end. I thought it was a very clean editing for for an ending, you know. Yeah. A lot of times when you have stuff come, cut out and then you go into a fade out, it feels kind of predictable and cheesy, but here because of the way they just kind of like practically mid-note cut it all out and then you just have the tapping, it it just feels very kind of 
I don't know, empty room, and but not in a cheesy auditorium piano. I way. barely even felt like the the typical reverb, you know, uh, linger yeah. behind this. Like that's why I say clipped audio, yeah. clipped clip. Like it, it, to speak in DAW terms, like you just clip the clip and then take it away, <laughs> and that's it. You're just left with the the bite, just stop dead cold. Exactly. Um, and then yeah, with that final little symbolum outro. I mean, it's, it's the first piece that actually ended on a slightly dour note, and I yeah. found that particularly interesting. Me too. And I mean, I guess maybe it's alluding to the next track. I don't know. Uh, it's hard to say, but, but, but tra- <laughs> tra- track eight, Robots, is the first time we actually have a very specific-ish narrative. It's, I call it it's either a narrative or a commercial or dialogue. It's, it's I don't really know. It's not vocals. It's more reading. It's spoken word. Yes. It's absolutely well, spoken word. Let's go ahead and read it for you. Are you alone? Have your friends been replaced by robots? The robots are everywhere. Have you ever imagined watching a sunset on Mars? A robot is doing that right now. You would freeze, suffocate, burn up, and then turn into meaningless space dust, only one day to be collected by a robot. Every day robots are taking care of more and more for you. You are free. So now what would you do? Well, let me help you with a visualization. Imagine you are in a desert, staring at the blinding midday sun. In your left hand, a jewel-encrusted goblet of bubble tea. In your right hand, a string of balloons. On your head is a sparkling cardboard top hat. I threw that in just for fun. Your stomach is growling, and you wish you didn't eat that clam burrito. With the scorching heat, the indigestion, and the search for meaning, you are now bursting with effervescent life force. It shoots from your fingertips in lightning bolts. And then suddenly, a ferocious polar bear is chasing you across the desert sands. He wants that bubble tea. Shoot him with your life lightning. Now imagine the polar bear is really a robot. Do you see where I'm going with this? By the way, to interject at this point, we all said no, resoundingly. (laughs) Uh, And she continues, anyway, that was just an example. Think of your own thing, something that makes you happy. No, not that. Something the robots haven't thought of yet. And that's where it ends. Only, interestingly, halfway through the track, but we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah, so for me, as someone who's uh, an avid listener, or was an avid listener, I'm kind of backlogged now, of Welcome to Night Vale, this feels very much in the vein of the kind of bizarro thing that Welcome to Night Vale does. I thought it was cheeky, and it was kind of funny at moments. Um, like, I like the line about life lightning, because, I don't know, it just sounds fun. Life uh, lightning. <laughs> but, um, but, but the instrumentation at this point is kind of it's very much background music. The focus here is definitely the dialogue, what's being said, or not dialogue, monologue, because it's only one person. <laughs> the monologue here, and you know, then when it when Steve said around two minutes fifty five seconds, the, the the monologue stops, and we get to focus on the instrumentation. And I'm just not like it feels like background music. It feels ambient. I I like the idea behind this dialogue or monologue because we're gonna keep <laughs> making that mistake. Well, describe your idea first because I think you were probably more on on point with it than uh, than me and Matt. And it's kind of the interpretation of this as some kind of some kind of therapy session for someone it, that fears robots. It feels yes, it feels like it. Well, it is guided therapy at one point, but it feels like you're being shrinked because you're afraid of robots and you don't like what's happening and this is to calm you down and try to reintegrate you into the life that everybody has to live because there's so much automation and whatnot. I I understand where this is really coming from. I honestly I see this related a lot to Steam Power Draft, one of my favorites. Because stylistically it has that kind of slant to it where it's it's cheeky. Right. It's not a hundred percent serious. Right. Obviously when 
Oh, this is just this is just an example. This is only I threw in a top hat just just because I threw that just in. Just because. Just because. But yeah. when I don't I don't think you'd really appreciate your real therapist toying with you. Well, <laughs> the the thing is, Steve read it a lot more emotive than even the track presented it, and it does so, come off robotic in and yeah, of itself. Yeah, yeah, and that's exactly why it did so. Because maybe if you read with the emotion, uh, yeah, there's it's got jokes. There's jokes in here, but of course, it's it's being read robotically, which in itself is a joke. But then, of course, also it's very spaced out over the course of you know two minutes to two minutes forty five seconds, I believe yeah. it takes for. Uh, for the she in this to to uh, recite all that dialogue, and I I do find that at moments you kind of lose the joke a little bit because when it takes so long to describe that middle section, you know, which is genuinely well, even if it's not like as Matt said, even if it's not side splittingly funny, it is it is quirky. But over the course of time it takes to describe it, you kind of you're just ambling around. And you're like, where is this going? Maybe the joke is in that, but maybe not for everyone. It just, it lacks the character that I've grown to love with the faux robotics of, like, Steam Power Giraffe or other similar types of, like, cartoon work or anything like that because it doesn't have, like, false inflection, which might have added a little more character. Yeah. It doesn't have, like, that, 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 that exactly stutter step that, a lot of faux robotics does. Well, because you're bringing in Steam is... Giraffe, I mean, they, they are, all three of them uh, are, they're robots with full-blown emotions. I mean, they're, they're essentially human full, for the lack of... Full-blown the... faux emotions. There's a lot yeah. of fakeness to it on purpose. They're also wonderful Here... singers. She's not singing. Here it just feels like how 9000 is just spouting it out, and I'm just not enjoying that. But I think that's the intention. Steve alluded to that. I think it's supposed to be delivered robotically, and I, I totally get you not enjoying it for that reason. I just don't maybe, think... Maybe this, it's your robot therapist. Well, the, I think it, this is not... Like, comparing this to, to Steam Power Giraffe, I think, does an injustice to what they are kind of trying to do here. But my big issue is because of the spacing. As Steve brought up, the big spacing feels like... The robot that's doing this is not quite a hundred percent there. I mean, it feels like it's losing interest, and if anything would be able to maintain interest, it would be a robot. Yeah, and also it's laying it on pretty thick by doing that. You know, I've, I've heard tracks like this before. Be like in a world where you know, maybe not yeah. if it's actually like a trailer, but still like tracks that try to set you up with a story and tell you so in such a a slow and dedicated manner that sometimes. Sometimes it's just, it comes across as a little bit, just a, they're laying it on too thick. I don't know. I, mean, I don't I, always get the, the punchline. I guess. I, I think my biggest problem with this track is it just feels out of place for the rest of the record. I mean, suddenly having a monologue and then instrumental after that is kind of plain and uninspired. I think the whole track has a plethora of problems that mostly focus around the fact that it's here. Here's a kind of uh, oddball and maybe latent question. Are the Blue Man Group robots? I don't know that it's a, a se I don't know that it's specifically said that they are. I mean, I'm just thinking about like you know some various clips I've seen. All three of us have never seen a Blue Man Group show, correct? In person, correct. In, In person. person, I've seen it online. Um, but from what I've seen of it via clips, mostly they're just like they're looking around. They look very kind of 
kind of stoic, yeah. but never really changing their 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 expression, but with always a little a little bit amazed. Eyes. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot of wonder involved with them, which I wouldn't really attribute to something that's robotic. Yeah, as they kind of like, but they kind of do almost like robotically create. It's, they robotically invoke like little stray robot electrical impulse neurons. Say, I'm going to attach this new PVC pipe. I, I think it's more alien than robotic. I think is the conveyance, but I don't. I, I again, I can't really speak specifically to it, and I don't know if the actual show has a narrative because I've not seen the show I was as only a whole. saying so because then in that case there would be more of a, a steam power giraffe comparison than oh, ever sure. before if, if, mean, if all this music was intended to be created by you know not quite understanding their feelings robots yeah, this, is, you know, this is a weird conversation to have after 25 years of the group existing right sure I think that there's not really much else to say on this track other than it, it's oh a def- no there's a lot more to say because we're only halfway through the track <sighs> all right, I mean so describe the instrumentation a bit I feel like there's oh, no, I, not a lot all right, to say I'm, you caught me red-handed. There's not a lot to say, and that's the point. Okay. Um, because half of this track is aforementioned dialogue or monologue, and then the last half of the track is just the overall, most of the instrumentation that had kind of been there in the background over the the, the monologue, and then and now it's just there. It maybe is a little bit more colorful. I mean, this is, again, around the 2 minute 45 second mark, and you exist with the same kind of of the southern gothic guitar backdrop, you know, that sort of thing. It adds a little bit of shakers. Uh, it's, 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 the texture is still very wonderful. In fact, I would argue that on headphones, all these little pops and fizzles for this latter half of the track, the crackles, are actually a lot more enjoyable because it, it feels almost like it feels like you're getting like tickled because they're so close to your ear. You know, they have such crispness to them. It feels almost intimate. But on speakers, you don't really pick that up. On speakers, yeah. it's just kind of it's, mus- it's musically a little bit dull. Yeah. You've already had all, all of the. You've already had the full monologue. So you're, you've been left for a, quite a long time now to ponder the very very oddball. Uh, monologue that you've been given, and it, and then that could be intentional, I think. But but still, it's just I feel like it leaves you kind of hanging, and and doesn't really engage you after that. And also, I would say that doesn't doesn't one hundred percent reflect like the odd theme of the lyrics. I would agree. I mean, if the lyrics are quote cr- unquote lyrics, yeah. If the lyrics are quirky, well, then the instrumentation still feels kind of like just slightly ominous. Yeah. Like, well, the robot uprising is actually something you should very much concern yourself with right and she's dismissing it maybe that's the joke uh because she's a robot i'm sticking with it well maybe i don't know it's just long at the end of the day that's what i felt about this track it just felt very very long it's both the the dialogue section and the non it's the soundscape of robotophobia Sure. And that's that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That's a sure moment if I've ever heard Robotophobia? of Robotophobia? I'm going to look that up. I'm going to make sure that's the right term. Go for it. Yeah, you do that. Get back to us. Uh, <laughs> let's move on, though, to track nine, Creature Feature. Robophobia. Actually, which that sounds better. better for, for the start of this track, feels very much their namesake of experimental rock here. Like, I get more of a sense of the experimentation they do when this track starts. It's back to glitch. Yeah. I mean, uh, this very glitchy stuff, and I, I thought it was pretty neat. It's a, But this is a neat, like, rock-out track. Yeah. Like, this, to, to, to approach form here would maybe be a little bit... It would be beating around the bush, sure. because most of it is just supposed to kind of, like, it consistently picks up the pace. It picks up the pace. Great guitar riffs. Um, and honestly, I, I, I'm going to... I'm, I'm going to maybe disagree with John, because I don't think John enjoyed this track. He hasn't said anything yet, but I, I'm going to say 
I don't really care that this one was predictable because I found myself just kind of harmlessly rocking out to it in my head. And I enjoyed the climax, and I was just having fun filling in the space, even the repetitive space, with my own internal drumming. The Southern Gothic ideas that keep showing up felt like... I didn't notice that as much in this track. It shows up enough to keep grounding it, like uh, like happened in previous tracks. It feels like I was getting something that was really just technical, that was really intricate, but stuff kept sweeping over it and kind of just shooing that aspect away. And then, about halfway through, the groove leads to a very heavy rhythmic speed up that it, this this feels like it was trying to pump me up. The combination was trying to and failing pretty hard in my ears. It just it felt a little bit on the hollow side at the end of the day. If I didn't think there was a whole lot of new ideas being presented here. This, that, and the other thing really culminated as one of the least impactful tracks for me. Well, if I could put my Steve hat on for a moment, um, I'd say that while I get that I can see why you would groove along to it and you would get into it. But for me, it loses something. We, you know, in the beginning, they're doing something really intricate and interesting. And they don't. there aren't a ton of experimental intricacies that, that are difficult to figure out, at least form-wise. But here, there's a little bit of randomness. And uh, like I said, it, it feels more linked to previous works we've done recently. But then it just progresses into something that you can kind of predict, understand the flow, feels fairly more mainstream than the previous part of the track. And for me, that's a bit of a letdown. Well, I sense a little bit of contradiction in your point there. I mean, it's 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 random, but at the same time, it's predictable. No, the beginning is random. The latter part that John is talking about, where it evolves and becomes more comfortable, that's where it becomes more predictable. The earlier part of the track right. felt like true ex- experimental rock. And then it just evolved into something that I could hear on Top 40, and I don't know that I wanted that. It felt like true glitch. Um, but they're, And maybe they're like the final theme. I guess the final theme I would agree with you on. Yeah. But everything that led up to it, I was, I was thoroughly enjoying. I just feel like there was a wet blanket on top of everything that was kind of holding it back. I think that's my, my major gripe with everything that was going on. And it, he- it, it just lost a lot of his impact because there was something just keeping it down. And here's my final defense of this track. I think it was more honest in that they're, they're using oddball instrumentation. They clearly have a propensity to just kind of jam a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, to, to rock out in general. And I feel like that has mainly been our sticking point for most of this album is that, oh, it's lacking form. It's lacking form. We're looking for composition because we're, we're kind of hypersensitive to that given the last few weeks. Um, but... Here, it just is exactly what they're best at. They they rock out using really great instrumentation, and I think it, it had all the intensity, it had the builds, and it reached probably one of the greater climaxes on the album. I'm not going to say the most complex, just, you know, the the, the brashest. All right. I mean, I, I can understand where you're coming from. I just don't know that I agree personally. I think for me... It lost a little something. But, you know, I mean, at that point, I think we're just debating taste. All right. But to go from technophobia to something that really is guttural and primal, I think Vortex, track 10, is probably my culmination. You you, you, you call Creature Feature having one of the strongest things. Vortex, I think, is probably the biggest and best of the of the any builds that they've done on this album. All right, well, let's talk about the intro here, because this yeah. also, this is a little more simmered down. It starts off very delicate, little plucky sound, has this, this little pattern, you know, in the background, very almost cute. 
Meanwhile, it's, it feels like things are being you know squished and crackled. It's watery. I know we always go back to that. It felt but, like a techno swamp. It felt like yeah. what if robots made mm-hmm. a swamp with the go. bayou it and the frogs humid. and the crickets? Yeah. yeah. Oh, it had no, like going back to, to to Starcraft, it's the Zerg. <laughs> it's the That's Zerg. what it is. There you go. Favorite race. Yeah, actually, that <laughs> might be a, a good explanation of it. It I feels like, like bioengineering going yeah. on right here. It was <laughs> sharp. It had edges, that. but it still felt like it was alive. If it felt like the things that creature feature was missing. Yeah, and also I like a couple other things here. This, the drones in the background kind of function as their own melody. They in themselves are very delicate. It's very, very thin, very long drones. But yet, even as long as they are, they do change. And when they change, you notice you have kind of a pitch thing that you're kind of following over the course of time. That kind of becomes a melody to my ears. And then at some point, all of this just explodes. I mean, it, it does build up quite a bit. There's uh, Later on, there's a kind of reprise of the earlier portion. Um, and then a bass twang will actually fill in for where the drones were. So now the bass has replaced it. The bass is your melody now. And its f- phrases are equally long and drawn out. And then we build and build and build again. So I'm back to, you know, this is solid compositional work. So, you know, it is clearly a lot more clever than the last track. And that you will not you will not find me disagreeing. I like this, those swells that happen. They kind of move the track forward. And I think they're good, like, linchpins for the track. I think it really kind of gives it an aesthetic that we had been missing from some of the previous tracks. Actually, one of my favorite parts of this track is not just the build, because, yeah, I love these builds, but it's the fact that it's approaching different aspects of the track at any given point. It feels like it's going through a bit of a cycle where it attacks low end, then mid-range, then the high sweeps, and then back and forth. Because it's really using replacing builds in here instead of just adding additional layers and making that wall of sound, we're getting a lot of time to actually sit with different Mm -hmm. aspects as they phase through. But the complexity is going through the roof. It also doesn't just, like, crash. Yeah. It peters out. And I really love the fact that for the biggest build, it loses so much steam and doesn't go through a reveal. It feels like we hit that, that sort of event horizon. If you're talking vortex, I mean, the black holes and things like that there's a there's a that darkness in the middle of the iconic vortex idea where once you hit that it's it's the crushing part it's the destruction part where it's silent it tends to be the calm center it tends to have nothing going on it hits that we don't break through to the other side we we hit that eye we hit that center and then there's nothing else it just kind of dies everything goes silent i love the imagery that's involved with that that's why I really do I, this probably is like the best track in my ears because it has something that a lot of the other tracks didn't fully accomplish and that it sets a setting and really culminates the setting like to to its best ability because you saw the vortex John no no not just the vortex he has the power I will say most almost every album we do I don't read the words titling the track before I listened to the track. So I got that feel on the first listen. I got that all right away. So That's to your credit. If anything, this track is just very appropriately named. Yeah, sure. All right. From here we go to track 11, Tone Spokes, where I made a not funny uh, pun about Tone Loke off the air, but I'll spare you guys. Well, I also made a really worse Deftones pun on top of that. That's true. That may also be a nod to one of their instruments, which is actually like a a, a spoked thing that spins, and then as you take a sort of a mallet or really any object to it, 
as you go in toward the center or outward toward the edge, it will change the tone. And by using a different object or a different length and diameter PVC pipe, on top of that, you get different pitches so you can mix and match your yep. pitches as you're working with it. It's it's a very involved and very much a theatrical piece that also has a very high function. I, I love that because it's like a merry-go-round of music. Could be. <laughs> sure. I think of a circle of fifths because it looks like spokes, and right. they are all made of tones, and you but, can't argue that. But now the song, which is what we're talking about. Um, this is the first time it, they kind of sound more like dancey. Like there's a song that I could actually see myself dancing to. They're, the the thing that really kind of adds a nice layer from the very beginning, which is a sound that I've heard more on previous records, but I didn't hear a lot on this, is the 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 kind of whiff of the plastic stick that we believe is the air pole. Um, that you know, it's it's a and it, the, the, that kind of sound, the way they do it. You're welcome. Yeah, sound effects are so hard on this. Um, I think that's my best sound effect yet, though. So, you know, not that that says much. But I like the kind of texture that creates. It's, it's really cool. And, you know, it kind of almost gives this song a tropical feel, sort of. It's just I like the kind of carefree feeling it has from the start. But at the same time, it's got the big drum. Or I, I don't even think it's even more inventive than that. What they call it the big ginormous thing that they have a big old mallet on that the big friggin drum in one description it's like setting down track for a rail yard they were they were talking about it's that that big overhand thump that reverbs throughout the entire stadium when they're playing we're of course only guessing at what we're hearing but I I I will just say that from a chordal standpoint I like this track a lot more than previous because it felt like they were finally starting to change it up you know instead of going back to the the clear cut inspirational themes which a lot of them involve the same chord changes I felt like this was going into some foreign territory for a while and there were you know although there were a lot of like shifts in instrumentation including the whips including the rattles it is it's a very busy track and I I, yeah it, it actually would make a great battle theme. I so, could see again, that too. Going back, whenever we see imagery, usually it's good. Well, um, it's kind of like a learning curve to this. It's like yeah. when you're not seeing any imagery, it's usually bad. When you see imagery, it's good. But then when you go back to finally saying that there's no imagery and it's its own world and you're completely just mind blown by it, then it's in a whole nother league. Sure. But the fact that we're here is like middle high. I'm good. Right. <laughs> um, I think as far as the structure for the track, too, like the, the part that I liked in the beginning, after about a minute kind of goes through one of their sound explosions. But like Steve said, even though we get this kind of explosion of a new part, it's built within the structure of this track's created creation. It's not... It's not doing the same thing we've heard previously. We still have... And the best part is those subtle air pipe sounds... The air poles. Sorry, air poles. I just want to throw <laughs> other P words in there. Sure. Um, but the air poles, they're still there making texture, but now they're in the background a, a bit. But if you focus, you can still hear them, and I like that kind of dynamic. The track, they're samurais. Though, That's what they really they are. They are samurais. <laughs> just <laughs> practicing. Just around the stage. The the track, at the end of the day, though, actually follows a, a pop structure. Verse, chorus, verse, It does chorus, feel bridge, to come chorus. back on itself, yeah. It Not that it does come back on itself. And there is a fairly definable bridge where it gets kind of low-key again and goes through a very standard build. It's a little bit wearing because I noticed it, but I don't know if that's really taking away from the track itself. At this point, I think I'm really just biased to the pop structure. But when I hear it, it's hard to unhear. And in this case, I couldn't enjoy it to, I guess, the full extent because of that. Yeah, see, for me, it wasn't yeah. a problem at all. I think that the, Again, this... I really thought this had... Well, that's what I'm saying. It is territory. definitely a prejudice on my behalf. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just... 
it's one of those ideas where, yeah, when I look back at it, yeah, of course went too big, bridge was too quiet, uh, it was obvious that they were going to go big again, and like, it was one of those. And I get that. I think I'm more in line with Steve, though. I think because of the construction within the track was so different from a lot of the stuff we had gotten before, I was more engaged with it. I think that... you uh, the, the, You the should speci- play a drinking game during this episode. Right. How many times we say, different than what we got before. Clearly, I think that's our bias. Yeah. And by no. the way, check out our episode Mutant by Arca two weeks ago in episode 194 where we discussed for our topic the notion of bias. See, right. everything's connected. Everything's absolutely connected. I'm going to connect us to the next track. Ah, segue. Um, so track 12. See this guy? Yeah, right? I know. So track 12 is uh, Dispatches 2. Which is connected to the first track of the album. Dispatches 1. So this one one at best is an interlude as well. Not too different from Dispatches 1. But it's actually one of the most inviting percussion pieces on the album. I was really enjoying it. Well, and what I also like about both Dispatches tracks, 1 and 2, is that they kind of break up the mood. Especially here, Dispatches 2, just one track or two tracks before the end really kind of gives you a palate cleanser. It's allowing you to go, okay, all that other stuff, well, take a moment to kind of groove on this, and then let's move on to the last two tracks. And I like that. You know, it's not terribly long. I think it's also about a minute and a half. And I think it really allows you to kind of let your mind rest for a moment, take in what these guys do on a very kind of... Uh, a low-key level comparatively and then move on to the conclusion of the album. Yeah, there was a lot of rhythmic groupings that I was really loving in this track. I mean, being a palate cleanser, you know, they, they never, it's never completely vapid and it actually gives you a chance to explore a little, it's like a rhythmic etude. It's like a study on a little rhythmic theme. It's like these little groupings of two, where you always would hear like a, like two sixteenth notes back to back, and then you omit the, the third sixteenth note, and then two more, and then omit another, and then two more, and omit another. It kind of creates a weird little hemiola effect, sort of, because when you add the two that are played, and then the one that is missing, you kind of get this three over four feel. It's pretty interesting, and it does this for several measures on end, and it, it's pretty engaging, despite the fact that this track, much like track one, is really not that long, but you can kind of get into it, and this is the stuff that I really like to hear. I mean, by Barring the fact that this is actually this is a track that I'm not even really focused on the texture itself. I'm focused on the rhythm and the compositional ideas, and that is always good. Yeah. Because it wasn't just a hemiola. They they screwed with the idea, especially towards the end of the phrase. It was a little bit different, a little bit hitched. Yeah. And every time that that little bit came up, it just kind of like. It was almost a reset button, but something that didn't actually jar you out of the rhythm itself. It was yeah. a very very weird feeling. Well, they, the they realign goes. it at some point by having several consecutive 16th notes, and then that kind of ends the loop, and then new loop. Uh, but yeah, it's, it was interesting. I, I, was, I was prepared for this kind of palate cleanser at this point. And if it was a palate cleanser, what they go into next, Giacometti, or at least that's what we think is the pronunciation. Hey, you're Italian. I, I'm pretty sure. Giacometti does something right from the get-go that's a, an oddball for this album. That we get a, I don't, I think it's a didgeridoo. We're pretty sure it's making well, a didgeridoo. It's the same sound. thing we, it we were might having be in the beginning. An actual didgeridoo, but it finally shows up again, and it's the focal point of the entire track. Well, what I like about this track, and it's why it's one of my favorites, is because it feels the most improvisational, even if it's not actually. 
it's just the way the didgeridoo sound kind of comes across. And then there are these kind of breathy, kind of almost beatboxy kind of didgeridoo sounds that feel stuttered and feel like they're just kind of flowing with the moment. It's that was, really that cool. That was amazing. That was a little further into it. But yeah, that they just, at some point, they yield. At first, they could didgeridoo. It's mm. just there. And again, for yeah. lack of a better term, we're just going to call it the didgeridoo. It's really, really close to it. And then it just, it has its own little breakdown. It's mm-hmm. like a funky interlude where, and it's not every day that you hear a didgeridoo breakdown. So yeah. uh, I was I was thoroughly into that. It was, it was very brief. It just lasts for a couple measures just to kind of get you into the feel of it. And then we're back to the opening setup. And the opening setup was, you know, it's kind of also dominated by this like guitar-esque tone. See, everything is a qualifier. And it's just, it's very moody. I was getting into this part as well. Uh, some things are repeating, I guess, in the overall tone, but I do admit that this is getting a little bit more serious, and I think that's something I liked about the progression of the album. We're, we're nearing the end. This is the penultimate track. It's, it's allowed to really be expansive and atmospheric in one hand, but at the same time, that, that allows the subtleties to really show up a lot more than what a lot of the other tracks were were missing. Yeah, and that's what that's what I settled on is that it's even the, the things that were familiar, I was judging them less because they clearly are are being more compositional here. Later on by 2 minutes 40 seconds, I mean it feels like something is taking off. You get a sense of something kind of sliding upwards and it amounts to a drone or really a siren that just exists at the top. It just keeps sliding upwards and upwards to it seems like to one plateau after the other and it stays there for a long period of time and then it bends upwards a little bit and then it stays at a new plateau even higher. It's almost it's on you you can't not notice it, but yet it's working as almost its own no, nah, I'm not going to say melody. That's comping, really, for the overall structure, but it is the most, probably the most dominant thing, even and, though it's comping. And all these different ideas that keep showing up to add different context to what's going on or what the didgeridoo is feeling at that moment start integrating with one another as the track progresses and really do a lot to just to become more than just flourishes or comp comping work they become their own being sort of sort of allowing them to to meld in a lot of ways they get rooted wise. into the overall yeah. sound of the song integrated in a way that you know i think we've not really heard before we've got this kind of tribal feel that we've heard tribal-esque stuff but not to the level of integration that this track really has especially when it the didgeridoo's two personalities seem to be starting to fight one another <laughs> to really be competing with one another and they're both the- showing up like it's it's very interesting ideas that are really doing a lot to work together even though they feel in a lot of ways to be separate themes the funkiest didgeridoo that you ever did here that you ever did here <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I guess that's as good as a point as any <laughs> to move on to our final track of the record, Taurus. Taurus. So this is the this at least in the start feels the most performance arty that they had been on the whole record, but it's brief. It's it's only for the first what thirty seconds or so, if even. It feels like it's one of those. Uh, go on YouTube, watch how they build a lot of their their more grand theatrical pieces. So when the Blue Man Group does this, they start with a single sound, a single tone that one of them discovered, and then the other two show up, and then they start manipulating said tone, adding to said tone. It's it works great when they're doing it with the PVC because you see them physically building and changing the music at the same time. The combination of the two ideas works well when they're building these tones, when they're actually shaping the music in front of your face. Here, as the slams start weaving into one another, 
it 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 feels like it reaches that peak of discovering the music and then plateaus. I don't I don't feel an additional theatricality about a third of the way through the track. It it peters off for me. I like also though that this song seems to have a lot more character than some of the middle parts of the record. I think that it again uses kind of breathy moments to kind of let you settle and then accept and go. Well, that's far part for the chorus. Right, but I think. As far as a, a wrap-up track for the album, I don't think this is a summation of the album. It's kind of just... I think it's a summation for the experience that is Blue Man Group. I don't yes. think... I don't a th- showpiece? Yeah. It probably would be great because this is something that, honestly, because it's just slams and weaves to begin with, it's an easy thing to just scat over, to just yeah. fool around with as you're going along. You have your basic framework, and now you just go into sort of solos, sort of integrations, sort of mutations. I mean, you could do a lot with the basicness of it. I think it's the case, I started noticing at some point, I, I like that they took their time with this intro. You know, when you just sit with the PVC sound, when it's more of the, kind of what I was describing in uh, Dispatches 2, where you just experiment with a little rhythmic idea and also with a, a single uh, instrument, uh, usually of their creation, then it, it's it's more curious and I feel more invested. They take their time with it. Usually some things are a little bit more stripped. Something is on, on display. But then when every instrument is involved, then I find that their, uh, their course of action usually is to become a little more generic, a little more poppy, a little more chorusy, and then it's a little more like other tracks on the album. Uh, and, and it did eventually go into that, but... Yeah, it brings up the point. I like them when they are in full breakdown mode, you know, when they go yeah. all out, uh, like what they did with the didgeridoo in the last track, or when they're just being slow and deliberate. It lets you soak up some of the fresh sounds that they're delivering you, and it just carries more weight. Such as in, let's say, 2 minutes and 40 seconds, where you have this very big shift. It starts getting very soft again, very delicate. Not even more delicate than it was in the beginning. Instead, this is just the PVC solo with these little string drones in the background. Then I'm into it again, right. and they build that back up. But that that was where I kind of wanted to exist. So I guess as a final track, it was a little bit scatterbrained, but um, it definitely introduced some of the best of what the earlier portions of the tr- of the album had brought me. Um, but also some of the, not gonna say worst, but the more generic. And let's just keep it at that. I guess I'll go into our wrap up. Sure. Seeing as John used the old finger and nose trick, yeah, I'm, I'm calling quick to the it trigger out. these days. Yeah. You didn't have to be, too. Uh, like, last few weeks wouldn't have blamed you. But this, um, well, I, uh, this is a little more complex. I don't want to lead on that this is something that just speaks for itself. Uh, I did come to realize a little bit earlier on why some people may diverge on an album like this. Because the layering is incredibly detailed. Uh, their themes, which are very subtle and sometimes regimented, they usually do get developed, usually by instrumentation replacing them. Uh, and then the rhythmic bridges between the measures are usually the most interesting part. And these are all curious things. But then there's also the other side of it, and that's the tonal narrowness of it. It's very approachable tonally, and that's because it's stage approachable. It has to be. Um, but at times, I think that that really undermines the textural originality. It's times where I, I, I think about that and I think, well, 
what would Joseph Bertolozzi have done, you know? And I, I think about some of those tracks on, let's say, the most recent Tower Music as being a little... He, he pushes boundaries a little more than this does. He doesn't have a, a stage to worry about, um, or at least not until uh, perhaps we get a live performance at the Eiffel Tower, but, you know, that'll probably be a special thing where fans get to go. And the rest of them, well, screw them. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a performance, and they'll just be shock and awed. Okay. Uh, Sounds like Paris. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, perfect place. But, but this, you know, we said it's shock and awe a, a couple times in this album, maybe in a, in a more uh, inappropriate sense, just because shock and awe for, for, for this album simply means, hey, there's different instruments. And I think it sometimes leaves it at that. The composition goes back and forth. Don't get me wrong. There were a lot of tracks here where I was definitely interested with what they were doing and all of the the, the replacements, the cutouts, the uh, the form changes. Um, and I don't believe it was it was pop. I think that's an inappropriate word to ascribe to this. But I definitely pick up on the fact that they are favoring that more than anything else. Does that allow them to get away with it? Because that is, after all, their shtick. Maybe that's their point first and foremost. And then the composition is an afterthought. Um, and at times it works, and at times it doesn't. Or at times it just does its job. It feels more like maybe the the form here is a showcase. It was written around the unique instrumentation that they invented. And the piece itself wasn't written first. We actually have that in an interview where one of them said, you know, you invent a new instrument, you start composing around it because it's giving you that. And that can be good or bad. I actually, I, I'm not... I'm not invalidating that. Actually, I think I would advocate that in a lot of instances. I would say, all right, you've invented a new thing, or you just bought a new instrument, or you just changed your keyboard setting. Even if it's just something as simple as that, use it. Feel the the power of the, the new timbre, and that will give you new compositional ideas. But it feels like the form is made to fit the instrumentation like only in a cursory sense like it it does its job so that way it is just like highlighting a little like hey here's the instrument i invented here's the instrument i invented i do think there's integration here but i'm not finding the the theme i'm like i'm not finding that that singular thing all the time and even when i do I find it very much goes back and forth. Like, I don't know what to make of robots. Like, that, of course, had the theme handed to us in a silver platter, but it's like, of all the things, like, is that supposed to define this album that technically has no title, as it is just three? It's just the number of... It's not the third album they've done, but it's just... Technically, if you don't count the live album, it is. Oh, yeah. And there's also three members in the band. Then there you go. So we don't even have that to work off of. Typically, I like this in Electronica works, for instance, where we get to kind of just have and let the music speak for itself. But this just seems a little bit all over the place. So, I don't know. This is an album that I don't think quite makes it to uh, the four range. But only just short. Because I think they're doing something very important for music. But I think at this point, I, I need just a little bit more. It's not something to showcase anymore. It's the Blue Man Group. They already showcased it to me, and that was apparent within the very first track. After that, it's just very hit or miss. A lot of people otherwise would go to electronic albums or they'd go to Glitch where electronic artists probably have an equal amount of free reign because they're using computers. It, it's interesting because just two weeks ago, again, in Mutant by Arca, we did have this discussion and that was sort of a, a point of my consideration. Like, well, Arca did a, so much just by working with the computer and, and, and by being a keyboardist. You know, and at the same time, at the end, I still felt like maybe some additional instrumentation could have helped him. And yet here, I think I have the opposite reaction, that all of this instrumentation, and yet it didn't quite 
cut it in terms of composition. So I have to just just fault this for a 0.1 and that takes it down to a 3.9 uh, below a 4 because there's still wonderful things going on here. It's still pushing music in the textural department, but I need themes and I need them to, to attack me in a big way. I'm in much the same boat as Steve and... And I guess it still feels like with all the ingenuity that's going on with the instrumentation or the just the physical instruments, it feels like a lot of the old ideas are just coming too far forward. Uh, string work, guitar work, piano work, and drum work. That feels like all these ideas, all these new tones, physical objects making very different things is falling into one of those four categories. And I kind of want them to stand up and be their own thing. By that, I mean drum work going heavy rhythm, piano work being allowed to be both rhythm and melody, string work being sweeps, and guitar work being punctuation. Like Those four ideas feel like an instrument can't break free of any of those four modes. If it finds one, it sticks there. But with these sounds, they can do a lot more than that. The drum bone, the trombone drum combination of pulling pipes in and out is such a unique idea. It's that sharp percussion, yet it bends. The combination of the two is so unique to what that can do and what a synthesizer can do. Like, that's the only other place I know that really, that shows up. Work with it. Make that your thing. And it is part of what they made, but they allow it to only work within very specific framework. It's a trumpet that just happens to be made out of PVC. I want more, and I know they do more, and I guess maybe a lot of what they do is associated with their stage act, with the visuals that go along with it. With that last track, really, I feel like kind of relying on those visuals. So, I'm not as high as Steve, but there's there's a lot going on here that I really enjoy, because at worst, the music is just great rhythm and percussion, and still has intricacies all of its own even even robots for as much as we seem to hate on it it still has a pretty long idea that gets expanded upon it's just not built upon that i guess really makes it fall flat so for that three seven five so for me with this record um I think the reason I picked it is just mostly based on a vague familiarity with what they do. Um, I love percussion. I love interesting percussion. I always thought their stage performance, from what I've been able to glimpse, glimpse online, was really interesting and really cool. But I think the place where this fails me and puts me in a similar place to Steve, but I think for different reasons, is, is again, I think, going to be theme-related. But for me, it's like that emotional investment part of it. For me... I feel like there were tracks that made me feel a bit, but for the most part, I wasn't super invested emotionally in most of the record. I was interested, I was intrigued, I was curious, but you know, there were there were the highs and lows were kind of uh, predictable a bit and kind of you know based on expectations of what they do within their realm. I think that this does suffer from being too closely tied to the live performance. Now, that's only because we're reviewing the album. If I was a fan of their live shows and I saw them in concert a bunch and I saw them there the the you know, the Broadway show a bunch, then then maybe I'd feel differently because this this could change that. I mean, a while back we did Foo Fighters newest record and 
It was attached to an HBO TV series. When it's I watched episode 123. When I watched that TV series, Sonic Highways, it was really interesting. And the songs were really cool once you got the background. They may not have been still masterpieces, but they had context and it made the songs better for me. And I listen to the album more now watching having watched the TV show. Um, but you know, removed from it, it was problematic. And that may not be the fault of the artist per se, you know? I mean, they want the that project, in that example, they were always meant to be together. That could be the same for this. I can't speak for sure, but three may really exist because it's meant to be part of the live show. If it is true that for 25 years they've been writing, you know, for it to be performed, that's 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 a fair uh, that's a fair point. Right, but also I think what's something that something that's important to highlight when when talking about this album is, from the interviews I've seen with them, they are more or less inventing, and and just to have fun. They're making music just to have fun. Like there's artistry, of course, and there's you know inspiration, and but a lot of it stems from I want to make a thing, and then I want to make a thing with a thing. Like that seems to be the driving force, and it's hard for me to penalize them heavily for that. You know, I think that at the core of it, good or bad doesn't mean as much for them, I think, as much as it, they're really focused on clean and fun. And, and they do that really well. And so for me to fault it below a four, I feel like is unfair when I've given force to other things that I may have enjoyed less. Um, but that said, it's not much beyond that. I mean, it's, they're doing interesting things, but they are not breaking the mold of music by any means, but they they have the capacity to. So for me, it's an even four. It's on the same level as a lot of re really cool stuff we've done that I haven't been into, but this is the other side of it. I'm into it, but it's still not doing enough. Um, you know, now that could change. If I see their live show at any point, I may take that back. Um, and I may spend more time with this because I'm looking for more instrumentals to listen to. Um, and, and, and you know, like falling in love with Joseph Bertolozzi's stuff, I've fallen in love with a lot of this for the same reasons. So I think that's where my kind of heart lies. And, and that's the logic I apply to it. You know, that's where I'm coming from with it. If you see this... Uh if you see a live show that features these tracks, then you may have to reconsider this as a soundtrack episode. Yeah, and, and that can change your perspective. I mean, music music can evolve based on the environment it's projected in, so that that can really affect it. It can affect it, and uh, environment is important, and this leads us to our topic of the day. I mean, environment is going to be dominated by, obviously, the instruments that you choose, and we, we preface this as being the Blue Man Group and that they are inventors, they have a laboratory, and we all said, this, this is amazing. I mean, we could only wish that, you know, we were in our 50s and we could just, because uh, I, I believe they are in their 50s now, and just, just make instruments. You get that in addition to making music, and that's a pretty incredible thing because yeah. not every instrumentalist has the same free reign. And that was a part of the point that I had made, you know, at the end of uh, of the Arca episode, is that electronica artists get to kind of feel like they're doing that because through the computer you can create a lot of things that sound like things, but there is that that extra added effect when you get to do it acoustically, when you get to actually expand the acoustic repertoire, which for some reason still always gives people chills. Chills. Yeah in a di very different way than you than you experience electronica, even when you're making the electronica sound super realistic. I think it's something about the natural feeling of physical objects. Yeah. I mean, think about PVC pipe. We've all seen it. We know what it looks like. We've walked past it in Home Depot or seen it out on the street in construction. Mm -hmm. And so then hearing the sound it makes, 
then ev every day for the rest of your life, after you've seen a Blue Man Group show or video clip, you can look at that PVC pipe and while you're staring at it, hear the sound it makes in your head. Or even and or a different tone that it would make. And now you can do that further. with the Eiffel Tower and the Minhausen Bridge. Right, right. There's something <laughs> further than that. We know these sounds that they're using, and that's where the really unique factor for Blue Man Group shows up for me. We know the sounds. If you've ever seen a a, a scene of a construction site where pipes drop yeah. or just that idea or a PVC pipe dropping makes a sound that they're using on stage. But that was always attributed to the sound an object makes. Metal striking metal is the sound an object makes or any of the other various things they do. The screeching, the, the, the thuds, these are objects and then they turn them into instruments. Yeah. And that shift is a very subtle shift but it is very important for just the, the visual aspect or the audio aspect that they're doing. Just as Joseph Bertolozzi turns the structure into an instrument. We know those pings yeah. and pops and even like the, the, the sound of metal as it heats or cools rapidly. When you put that in the reference of a rhythm or you put that in the reference of a melody, it transforms from an object into something that's much more. Well, and also think about like the precursor to this in the earlier years, taking objects from home and turning them into instruments. I mean, think about you know the old drying racks, you know the washboards, washboards. Yes, there you go. Yep. Drying racks, drying racks. Yeah. Think about the old washboards and how someone took two quarters and was like. Oh, I can make a tone. Oh, this is an instrument. Oh, I'll put a tin cup on the side of it too. I mean, I've watched Alex Bell from the Wasties play. A washboard, and it's it's pretty fun to watch a drummer confine himself to a smaller object, but still do some really interesting percussive sounds. And yeah, this I, is... I would bet that that whoever invented the triangle didn't invent it consciously. No, it's <laughs> but I think like intent and the idea of like a, a, a triangle being a dinner bell, and then it could be an instrument as well. These evolutions of instruments from objects, I think, is really cool. And that's really ultimately what Joseph Bertolozzi and the Blue Man Group, as well as others, are doing. They're taking physical objects that aren't intended for music but see what and I, making music with them. But see, what I interpreted from John, you know, is almost... I feel like there was an implication there that, well... Because everyone is making, is turning objects into things, which I, you know, don't poo-poo by any stretch. I think it's fascinating. You do find that there's, you know... Not too much standardization there, or at least it becomes almost a personal item. Sure. Like, I will never be able to take anyone else seriously who uses the Mid-Hudson Bridge, you know, to oh, their sure. own. Like, it, it's been done. That is that is right. trademarked sure. Joseph Bertolozzi. Um, he gets to keep that forever. Uh, and then same goes for all these inventions that people will come to associate them with the Blue Man Group. They, they're very personal in a way. And... It's, I'm not saying that there's not invention being done uh, for the masses. I believe there is. You don't hear about it as much. Like sure. just as one example, um, the the standard symphonic orchestra. Most of the instruments that are there, such as the string family, the woodwind family, the brass family, most of those instruments have basically been standardized since the 1890s. Mm -hmm. And they haven't really changed much since the 1890s. You go back in time before the 1890s, then you'll get subtle little variations in how they were, in how they were shaped because, you know, you don't have an industrial society back then, so they're all handmade. And each, each instrument manufacturer um, put their own personal stamp on them. So they get more and more different the further you go back to the 18th, 17th, 16th centuries um, until finally there are no instruments that would be recognizable today. Can't tell you how many times I've seen like extinct versions of the guitar. Right. Like that's, it's just, they're gone. We'll never hear them again or at yeah. least we have to kind of guess. Um, but that begs the question like well 
why hasn't that developed in a, in really in a society where we actually have the capacity to develop it to tailor make it in fact especially with like 3d printing technology i mean come on like is it just kind of plain old stubbornness that hasn't developed really i know i realize that contemporary let me just preface i know that contemporary composers have done a lot but even that even then it still feels like you know when ligeti did something really colorful it seemed like he kind of put his personal stamp on it as well and then we come to associate whatever he did with that composer like that particular symphony was specific to him and to do so again would feel like borrowing well also like to go back on a point you were making bringing up 3d printing um uh, mike rignetta who i had interviewed for crash chords autographs in a more recent episode i think two or three weeks ago of idea channel he talks about the moral implications of 3d printing and like mm. even if you're printing something for personal use is it still copyright infringement and the short answer is yes it is <laughs> but you know, this idea that when you create something that's personal to you, sometimes there's this kind of like unofficial trademark on it that people know it's your thing and so they don't want to encroach on it. Um, I think but we are beginning hypersensitive to that these days, like to the point where, you know, we're, we're, we want to copyright we want to copyright everything. Like right. intellectual property has always been a little dicey and it's getting dicier. But but the thing, the point that I really want to make is maybe less so with Blue Man Group because that could possibly be recreated, but with Joseph Bertolozzi, it's very unlikely someone else is going to try and play the Mid-Hudson Bridge he or the Eiffel Tower. He was the extreme side of that spectrum. Right. And so, but I think it's important to understand also, uh, things don't become mainstream in a short period of time. It takes a very long time for things to become mainstream or common. True. And, and you, you can kind of interpret, you know, the traditional symphonic orchestra as having not necessarily been standardized, but more as coalescing. Yeah. And I mean, also, orchestras now are working with other things. I mean, there have been tons of heavy metal mixtures with orchestras and yeah, guitars I was, I and was drums. Say, like, like Trans-Siberian Orchestra and Metallica's done it. Like, which, or the entirety of the Halo soundtrack from <laughs> 1, 2, and 3. So Hans Zimmer, in fact, yeah. was kind of one of the... I'm not going to say he's the first, but he was definitely... He's known today for frequenting... Like, a, a guitar, an electric guitarist has just as comfortable of a seat in in any orchestra that performs under his banner. Yeah, and so I think that innovation in style as well as specific instruments just comes over time. And I think there's there could be a time that Blue Man Group, I mean, considering the show is sort of franchised at this point anyway, and they perform all over the world, there could be a time where they sell PVC pipe instruments in stores. You they know? already are homemade. I mean, you, you don't know, need, you well, don't of need course, you can make them at home, but I'm saying, like, eventually it could become a standard where maybe an orchestra would have a PVC pipe instrument in it. I'm I mean, just, I'm just waiting for the Mobius strip flute whistle to come out and just totally blow everybody's mind. But there's, it's, it's only at the point now, I guess, that stuff is becoming instruments where yeah. you can see something lying around and with enough imagination, you could turn it into an instrument. It's what we actually do growing up. Like you bang on the table yeah. or you tap your shoes or something like that. You make up music as you're going along. The steering, wheel. A lot of, the steering wheel is a great instrument. Yeah, it's yeah. great for... I'm proficient for, at it, that's actually. Right. It's great for working off a beat, too. It's yeah. not just you're replicating a beat. You're actually scatting on top of that beat. Um, but... To, to standardize it, to start making it a, 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 a recognizable as like a guitar or a violin or your quote standard drum set is something that you just, you gotta get a lot of people on board with something like that. Well, that's I mean, with time though. That's, but, that kind of thing happens with time. It's not instant. But let's look at But you do get Blue a sense Man that group. these are phases. Sure, yeah, they could be, yeah. I want to bring up the Blue Man Group because they've been around and doing stuff with this for 25 years. Right. 
unless they have a trademark that prevents anybody else from using these instruments, they're not nobody else has picked up on it yet. Right. Nobody I mean, else really seems well, to be so doing that's that. That's why I'm glad you brought up like, you know, the copyright infringement deal because or the patenting deal because where it concerns, you know, a musical instrument, I'm sure that that probably would be a, a situation like sure. people would come across and well, say, "Well, I kind of invented this. I can't believe you're using it in your piece too, especially since I have my own specifications to it, but I know they're very easy to copy, I'm sure." But then you look back like 300 400 years ago, I'm sure if anyone tried to copy like uh, the violin and someone tried to claim the right to the object, they'd probably say that it's ridiculous. Yeah. Like, it was, this wasn't a concept back then that you could do it. Being like, no, if it gets stolen, it gets stolen. You know, all you are then are simply competing manufacturers. Right. And but, those stand apart. Look, Les Paul, Stradivari. Yeah. I mean, there are, there are names yeah. that you have the instruments, and then there's the names associated with those instruments. But so that gets to the bottom of my question, is that even though I, I know that we are in, I, my point was not that we are in a time right now where we're creating less things. It's exactly the opposite. We're creating many, many more things. But I believe that at the same time, we are also hyper-possessive of those things, which may prevent uh, what Matt theorized from occurring, that, we, that it would take time and coalesce in the same way that it originally coalesced. I mean, and to I give would, us what we have now. And I think that's, that's the case. I think that... You have to be careful. Like, if you had all the ability and specs to print, 3D print, a original uh, Les Paul played by whoever, and you had the exact specs for it, and you printed it, well, that, A, devalues the original, and B, what right do you have to do that? It's not yours. You don't own it. Actually, there's a very easy way to go about and license out said thing. But the... Once it's licensed out and somebody 3D prints it, if they bought the license, it's theirs. But, that, but I'm not talking about buying the license. I'm simply talking about looking up the specs and doing it yourself. License be damned. If then you're, you're actually t- saying they are stealing the yeah, yeah. IP from the get-go. So, uh, no, it won't be legal. Right. I, it's, if you're, that's, if you're that's a, a welder, gray area, If though. you're a welder and you're like an independent uh, auto buff, right, uh-huh. and you're really into car designing, and a lot of people do this, they'll design a car in their garage and they'll assemble it themselves, right? And maybe, maybe Maybe they have a little pet project. They'll try to assemble something in the design of a really well-established automobile, like a classic, you know, they only made a couple dozen cars in that variety, like the XKS or something like that. The Jag- I think it was the Jaguar SKX thing. That's Steve McQueen's car. Um, I'm watching a lot of Jay Leno's Garage, so I'm really into this at the moment. And there's a lot of people that do this, you know, just for fun. But if they try to copy it, is that copyright, inf- is that infringement on, on the patent no. at this point? Actually, a lot of that stuff wouldn't be considered because once you buy a car i mean this is specific to cars once you buy a car you can modify it how you want so aftermarket design kits to turn 1960s and 70s mustangs into 1960s 70s shelby's exist yeah and they may replicate what a 350 or 500 shelby was at the time but even that the shelby itself when it was first produced was an adaptation of an existing car so so it seems to me that you could begin with it seems to me that you could compare musical instruments to that like in a very big way what sure. are musical instruments? What is the viola but an adaptation of the violin and sure. so forth? And every family of instruments, we're always adapting and adapting. So why wouldn't the same logic apply? Or if you want to get down to it, remaking a 1970s Les Paul is not copyright infringement because you are physically making said item. Selling right. that item is a very no-no area because you can get into a lot of trouble and there is that aspect. But making it and owning it and using it, 
I can't see how that is copyright infringement at all. Well, it also depends on what the inventor had in mind. Yeah. Like it seems now that it seems that maybe that's where it's changed because originally it would have been I've invented this really, really uh, incredible and useful thing which musicians are going to want all around. I am going to I'm going to market this. But usually, it's, since it's the musician that's inventing it today, then their reaction is no, this is my thing. I'm going to keep it, and it will be mine. And I'll use it throughout most of throughout my my tenure as a musician, right? Right. And I'll I'll get a little you know leery if someone is doing right. the same thing. So that that our reaction, our perceptions have changed. Um, and I don't know if that's for the best. I mean, we're we're, we're also not copyright lawyers, so it, no, it's we're hard not. to say. But it's, think... it's it's an interesting question. I would I'd love to have a lawyer on. Can we get a lawyer as our next guest? Oh, can, no. can that be our June guest? But at the at the end of the day, it's what starts outweighing the other, and it, it, it these things shift back and forth pretty regularly. So for the time being, I'm I just want people to make stuff and share. I think it with it's interesting world. to see. I where think at the end of the day, everybody kind of wants that, but at the same time, everybody still wants to own their babies. But yeah. everyone who makes something, yeah, they'll visualize it their own way. Sure. And magic has always happened from other artists who use something that is not theirs to imagine it their own way. Yeah. I think that's where you very often get uh, you'd further the creativity a little bit. I agree. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, all right. Well, let's shift into uh, wrapping up our wrap-up. Um, Steve, do you have a spam for us? I do have a spam for you. You're right very good. <laughs> Thank you. Michael, and good night. <laughs> Michael Kors handbags. Of course. Yes. Our recurring. Your, handbags. Your that right. gave us a message. You're right. Thank Very you. good. All right. Well, I'm glad we're right. That's good to know. No, you're, you're, you're right, as in you, we scribble. Oh, oh We scribble. Right. Well, okay. But, okay. But he, we possessively scribble. Okay. Okay. And he not write very good. Okay. <laughs> um, John, what are we doing next week? Um, it's actually kind of a shot in the dark, because I don't know much about this band. They're kind of brand new but i heard some hubbub about an indie punk band that made beautiful lyrics and i was like okay we're gonna experience this one together so we're gonna be tackling muncie girls and their debut album from kaplan to bell size all right okay um, we haven't visited punk in a while so that should be interesting. not just punk indie punk yeah I like didn't... how do you, why do you have to throw indie on punk I mean, I'm, when I'm was curious. the last time we had anything punk or was it was it uh, against be... me? Uh, Episode eighty-one. Against me dabbled, but I don't know if they were straight up. I don't more than the, two years ago. I don't remember yeah. the numbers of Green Day, but those are technically. Punk they were all a lot earlier than that. Oh, okay, then yeah, probably against me. Yeah, That's maybe against me. All right. Well, I look forward to diving into that and actually revisiting a genre that I've been hiding from for a while. Two genres. Two genres. Two genres. Two genres. <laughs> right. All right. Well, on that note, let's call it a day. And uh, remember, everybody, music is life, and, and life, life is, is good. good. If you enjoyed this and other album analyses, topics, and guests, please subscribe to the Crash Chords Podcast on iTunes, where you can also rate us and review us. For more media, also subscribe to Matt's one-on-one interview series, Crash Chords Autographs. To receive emails on all new content, subscribe at the top of our homepage. Also receive updates by liking us on Facebook, following us on Twitter at Crash Chords Web, our Tumblr, and our YouTube channel. And remember, keep the discussion going, because music is life, and life is good. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to share them in the comment board below each post. Otherwise, email us directly at admin at crashchords.com.